Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's program. Thank you for coming from all over the place. Tonight is Share 119 with Coach Menachem Bernfeld. So I start up every week, first of all, thanking everybody for uh, letting people know about the Share and posting on the WhatsApp statuses, emailing it around. And Baruch tonight's Share, I can tell you, I've seen it all over the place. I think we're running around the world. So thank you very much for that. And tonight we're gonna have a very powerful Share Mitchem. It should be uh, a tremendous talus to help a lot of people and to make a lot, make a lot of awareness. Um, again, if anybody wants to join, every Sunday we send out a WhatsApp uh, a flyer. You can WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066, or you can and say my number and I'll send you every Sunday the flyers. And if you want, you can go to coachmenachembernfeld.com. He has a weekly email list. He sends you every Sunday the share with the, with the recordings. So you can go there and sign up as well. If anybody's going to listen to this share, the recap on uh, YouTube, you can click on the subscribe button for Coach Menachem and also click on the like button. And every Sunday, every Monday morning, Menachem, right? Two o'clock in the morning, it gets uploaded and you can watch it there. I want to first also thank all our advertising sponsors for every week promoting us all over the web. First, the Lakewood Scoop here, over here in Lakewood for promoting us. Special thank you to uh, Robin Yanif Zak, Elliot Ariel from Five Town Central, and special, uh, special thank you to Kyla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCN, the Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us across all the digital platforms. Again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30 Eastern Time, we have different shirim on different topics, different abonim, therapists, most amazing people that come on. And uh, again, we always tell about what's coming next week. We just confirmed today, next week, October 30th, 9.30, we have a shir again with Gary Newman. I don't know if anybody knows Gary Newman. He was on once before. He's a world-famous therapist. He's, he's like one of the TV therapists. He's been on Oprah many times. And uh, he's one of the most, he's one of the biggest therapists in the, in the international uh, you know, world. So uh, he'll be on before. The topic will be, the key differences between successful and failed couples. So uh, it should be a very powerful share. Please join, let people know about it. Everybody can use Chizik. So please join us next week for Gary Newman. Tonight we have the schuss and the honor of having, I'm gonna say a combined total of 60 years together. Rabbi Russell, am I correct? Am I off or on? That's probably uh, Rabbi Salomon, 60 Oh, years. that's Rabbi Salomon alone, okay. So probably, <laughs> so probably closer to 200 years experience uh, <laughs> of dealing with clients and therapists and the reason why we brought out the two the two legends over here is because tonight's topic I, I i feel you know you need many many years of dealing with people it's, it's a very like underlying topic but i wanted to go to, we wanted to go to the big guns so machem we'll get there and uh we brought out the big guns Rabbi russell from eric's Israel live boyka toy 4 30 in the morning and we have we back solomon all the way far far from lakewood thank you for coming on i know it's very late for you but we appreciate it and let's share with everybody. Tonight's shear, shear 119. And the Gematra we came out with is Elo Benayach. You know, right, Benachem? What's the, what's the word, Elo Benayach? I'll take the Benayach, Elo Benayach. Elo Benayach. All for our kids. All for kids. We're always here for our children. We try for our children. And we make mistakes and we try to grow. So that's why we're here tonight. Let's share. We're going to start off first with an opening with Coach Benachem Bernfeld. Coach Benachem, what are we doing here tonight? Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, I do want to welcome Rabbi Russell and Rabbi Solomon. Um, before we start, I want to welcome everyone back. It's been uh, two and a half weeks, and I want to wish everyone a good winter. 
everybody wherever they are after the Yom Toivim. And I say Yom Toivim is a time that the therapists get to hear a lot of different things from different people. It's out of routine. And there could be a lot of triggers. And uh, some people could be calling out for help. Tonight, tonight's topic is a, is a sensitive one. CEM, Childhood Emotional Neglect. Some people are aware of the term, some not. But um, it's not always easy to see it. And we're going to hear much more about it. But I just want to mention, it could be, it's possible that you grew up in a real abusive home, dysfunctional, and everything looks wrong. And you still don't have that, that uh, criteria of childhood emotional neglect. How, and then there could be some people who grew up in the beautiful, beautiful home. And if you talk to them, they would say there was nothing wrong. Everything was amazing. They had the food, the shelter, clothing, whatever they needed. Then, and it could be that they do suffer and are going through that, what, what we're going to be discussing tonight. So it could be a person, they might say, you know, Hashem, I'm fine. I'm fine. And at the end, you find out that there is something there. And again, we're not here to blame anybody. We're going to hear a little bit about survivors, but the Holocaust, is any, no, any faults and this and that. It's just Hashem, who, who, who's the one who's doing all of this? I think Hashem is running the world. Hashem put us exactly where we, where we are. And if, you know, you become aware of something. This is what, how you grew up, or uh, it could be teachers, or whatever it is. Becoming aware of where it comes from. And the main thing is to, to look out, what does Hashem want from me now? You are in the exact place where you need to be. Hashem put you in this family. Hashem put you in this situation. Now, what does Hashem want from me now? That's the question. What do we want? Some healing. And it affects the relationship with our parents our spouse, our kids at work. It can affect all over. And what we're looking for is to become aware and to start the healing journey so that we don't continue with this cycle, which if we're not aware and we're walking around saying, I'm fine and I'm doing exactly what my parents did because that's what I saw. And I think that's right basically continuing the same cycle. So it could be tricky, not easy, to figure out that this something has to change. And that's why we have tonight with us Rabbi Russell and Rabbi Solomon, which I believe have a lot of experience. They deal with this in and out many hours of the day. And between the two of you to, to challenge each other, debate, to see, you know, the way you look at it, the way the other look at it, and, and eventually we come out with some, some ideas of how we can take it to the next level, how we can take it to the, the healing, even though it might be a process and not so easy. But amidst Hashem with a lot of siyat and shmaya. So thank you very much for being with us tonight. And Hashem should help. We should hear what we need to hear. Beautiful opening. Okay, so tonight's share again, the topic is feel like you're running on empty, understanding, overcoming, and fixing the cycle of childhood emotional neglect, right? Some people refer to that as CEN. 
Um, before we get into it, I just want to mention a few things quickly. Um, number one, Rebbe Russell is in the middle of finishing a, a book. It's called Rebbe Shem Russell, Raising a Loving Family, written by Zalman Goldstein. Um, Rebbe Russell, I think it's in, it's not in print yet, right? It's on pre-order. Am I correct? No, it's, it's, in, it's in a carton on the way to, on the way to America. On the way to America. So I, I think the website is www.raisingalovingfamily.com. I think you can go there. It's being published by Feldham if you want to pre-order it. Rabbi Russell, it's a good book. So should we buy it? Should we chaperone? <laughs> You'll read it. You'll tell me afterwards. <laughs> okay. So everybody grab a copy. We'll send it out on the email so everybody can get the links and try to get the book. I want to give a little history over here. Then we'll go into Fresh Start with the sponsor. A little history over here for a minute. So Coach Menachem started a little going back 119 years ago. When we first started this year, we had we did a little local thing. And then we had our own um, friend, Mordechai Weinberg, gave the first year. Then what happened was Rabbi Salman, we're going to repeat this again because we have to clarify it. I called Rabbi Yaakov Salman. And he was very, very sick then with COVID. He was deathly sick. Am I correct? Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. And he told me I would never say yes, but because I just came out of the hospital, I said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to come on this year. That was Rabbi Yaakov Salman. And he came on. It was a beautiful shear. Baruch Shem that helped catapult it. And then what I did was I reached out to his chavar, Rabbi Shimon Russell, and I said, listen, Rabbi Yaakov Salman came on, so, you know, you got to come on. <laughs> So now 119 shiurim. My fault. Later, your fault, his fault. I got you both. Now, now, now everything's squared away. So that's just a little bit of the history of the shear. And the reason why we chose this topic, and I just want to clarify it again, is because we had a shear with Rabbi Russell and Rabbi Shay Taub talking about different types of, you know, internal issues that people are going through. And Rabbi Russell said from all the different traumas people went through, it was literally at the end of a two and a half hour, three hour shear. He said a two minute comment and the amount of emails and feedback we got from this comment triggered this year and this is going back right almost probably over a year and finally we we set a date and we decided we're going to really tackle this topic but russell said the, the worst forms of abuse is, is called emotional neglect and he said that that type of neglect which we didn't really discuss that night is could be the most painful hurtful feeling for many reasons which we'll discuss tonight but i just want everybody to know that this is a very powerful topic very relevant to a lot of people and uh, I'm very happy that we took it on. It's something like, I feel like a little bit under the radar, but so core essence of so many issues. So thank you for taking that out. Rabbi Yechen, I don't know if you're on, let me make sure Rabbi Yechen is on. I am on, yes. You're on, okay, perfect. So we'll go into the sponsor tonight and we'll go to the little history over there. So Fresh Start is an intensive seven day retreat designed for men and women, right? That who want to understand and process and heal from unresolved trauma, neglect and abuse. Described by participants as a life-transforming and oasis, uh, oasis of healing. The Fresh Start Retreat is the first of its kind in the Orthodox from Jewish world. Developed under the guidance and leadership of a team of world-renowned trauma experts, licensed clinical therapists, doctors are bottom to combine proven treatment principles with authentic Torah values. You can go to the website. It's www.thefsrc.com, right? Which is the Fresh Start. What is that? F, F Recovery Center. Recovery Center. Retreat Center. Center. Retreat Center. Right. And Rabbi Russell, I think you're the clinical director of Fresh Start. Am I correct? Yes, yeah, some say that. Some say that. So Rabbi Yechen, maybe just for a few minutes, explain what it is or get into it a little bit. So I think I think it's relevant. And I was going to mention this now. I, I've gotten calls from people that have been there and they said it's been a life changing transformation for them just to find their inner self. So I, I, I happen to have been in the place, not as a not as a client, not yet. <laughs> I happen to have been in Detroit and I visited it. So I found it to be a beautiful place. But uh, Rabbi Yechen, Oshi, 
Oshi, maybe take a poll. I know you always take polls. How many people think it's time for Oshi to come to Fresh Start? Everybody, I'm going to give you my PayPal address. <laughs> okay, go. Okay. Thank you, Oshi. It's, um, it's an honor to just spend a few minutes here amongst uh, so many amazing people. Um, to your point, Rabbi Nachum, uh, Rabbi Russell, Rabbi Solomon, a tremendous bracha on tonight's um, uh, very sensitive yet incredibly important topic. So um, I speak on behalf of myself, probably many of us, we'd much rather be on the listening side of this discussion than being in the position you're in. So a bracha for our tonight. Um, so Oshi, as you mentioned, my name is Yochanan Polter. I had this list of co-founding Fresh Start. It's just less than two years ago, together with Rabbi Shema Russell and a Mrs. Tova Korn from Detroit. Um, how it came about is all Yad Hashem. Um, I don't think any of us ever imagined that um, maybe the experts in the field knew the need was there, but um, the, uh, the impact that, that uh, we've been able to have and help with people going through incredible life challenges has Baruch Hashem been very meaningful. Um, you know, yesterday at a Kiddush, uh, somebody asked me, Aregalachas, to explain what's the, if I had to give one thesis of what stands behind Fresh Start, what is that? And I've, I, I never had such a question, so I had to think about it. Um, and what I ended up telling him was, is that everybody thinks that our task at Fresh Start is a challenging one. Five people at a time come together for seven days. We experience a lot of pain. We hear a lot of, you know, uh, abuse, neglect, trauma, I mean, the stories are, are difficult. Um, and what I remind them is that the truth is our job isn't as difficult as people think it is because within every single human being, there's a spark of the Abishter. We just had in last week's Parsha. Um, and really our job at Fresh Start is not to create anything. It's simply to uncover the greatness within every human being that everybody has. Um, so while to the untrained eye, it seems like we have to create a new person, really those of us in the trauma space and in the field and the askanas of helping people in pain truly see an amazing and incredible human being behind it. And that was the goal of Fresh Start, again, built with uh, personal um, inspiration from the uh, co-founders as well as Rabbi Russell's um, guidance and with the help of Hashem we were able to bring on incredible experts around the world in the field. It's a seven-day intensive. The goal is to cut out one to three years of therapy and we do that by hopefully doing three things. Number one is giving our participants a level of awareness that they've never had before. Number two by providing them with a set of tools with how they can re-enter life and you know go through the daily experiences without falling off the rails like they normally do. And most importantly, it becomes a roadmap, uh, as Rabbi Russell always points out to us, for what future healing and for what their specific journey looks like. And as many participants have said, you know, I might still be in the dark, but for the first time in my life, I have a lighthouse and I know the direction I'm going and I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, 
As, as uh, Rabushi mentioned, our website is www.thefsrc.com. We take five people at a time. Men and women are separate. Obviously, the Ashkafa is all from Torah-based, uh, Kashras, etc. We run one session a month for women, one session a month for, for men. Um, our phone number is 248-301-9997. If anybody's interested in learning more or hearing more about it, feel free to reach out, call, email, visit our website. And um, uh, we should be able to heal those who, who need healing. And um, hopefully talks like this will eliminate the number of people that need to make use of our services. Somebody texted, it's worth going just to see Eichanan. I'm just letting you know, somebody texted me that. Thank you. It depends who, depends who said that. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we have Rav Shimmer also, Rav Yakusama. Rav Shimmer is going to go first. I have his bio, but Rav Russell, I'm not going to read it because if they don't know your bio, then they should just, like, I guess, like, whatever. So Rav Shimmer Russell, from Israel, open it up, please. Okay. Thank you. Well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be back again. And, uh, you know, I when we started doing this program, I don't think any of us had a, a sense of the kind of impact it could have. And uh, I realize it's very humbling to realize how many people watch, take this seriously, learn something and alter their lives. It's really extraordinary. And I just want to thank you for this opportunity because I, I think it's, it's just extraordinary. As you said, Osha, when we did that program, uh, Shays was doing uh, that program, Rabbi Talb on, um, on trauma and he asked me to join and we spoke and right at the end it was odd that we'd gone through so many different mentions so many different types of traumas and then at the very end it dawned on me we hadn't spoken about what i considered to be the worst form or perhaps one of the worst forms of complex trauma emotional neglect and i threw it in as you said in two minutes at the end and uh, the astonishing number of emails that came in from people who resonated to that comment and what that meant and how it affected them was, uh, it was quite honestly, it was overwhelming. I mean, literally hundreds of emails. So we know this is a serious, serious subject, a very sensitive subject, and we'll hopefully get into it and explain it and also give some encouragement and chizuk and hadracha. This is not a course. We're not going to fix the world's problems with emotional neglect tonight. We're going to give a primer, some thoughts, ideas, insight, and beget a ten l'chachem b'sachemayit, that hopefully people will take these ideas and run with it, learn, go to your therapist, read, do more work, but overcome it because it's an insidious form of hurt and danger that destroys and really destroys the potential for a full life. My biggest concern, I have to tell you, that I, I approach tonight with a certain degree of trepidation when doing a program like this, my biggest concern is not to hurt anyone because it's very easy for us to give descriptions of what this is and how it happens and, and really damage and hurt people who will walk away confused, conflicted, or blaming, looking at their parents and blaming them. Um, I, I'm really worried, I'll be honest, that in some way this presentation tonight could be distorted and end up hurting people unnecessarily. So I'm putting it out there that I think we need to walk all throughout the evening very sensitively 
in a way that we don't cause unnecessary harm. See, on the one hand, as far as I see it, no normal parents deliberately, emotionally neglected their children. All parents, whatever they did, mo almost all normal parents, as I see it, did what they thought was best to help their children. They may not have had the knowledge, awareness, or understanding of their own internal programs of how they were doing it and the damage it was causing, but no parents set out dafka to try and hurt their kids, nor were they aware that what they were doing was hurting their kids and they decided to ignore it. That's just not true for almost all parents. On the other hand, we have the reality that many children, adult, now adults, are seriously struggling with the impact of their own childhood emotional neglect. The impact of that on their lives was really destructive and they know it. And they're going through life with a tremendous heaviness and loneliness, with internal conflict and pain and shame. And this is where it comes from. So it's very, on the one hand, we have to support and guide and give chizuk, encouragement and, and insight to those suffering with it. And at the same time, if it comes out that in some way we're blaming, knocking, I'm afraid we're going to hurt. We could end up hurting more than we're helping. So we have to find balance, not blame. Education and, where, and awareness, not condemnation. The fact is, we have to consider that life is challenging. We all sometimes, all of us, sometimes emotionally neglect our children. That doesn't necessarily traumatize them. What does traumatize children is the consistent pattern of emotional neglect throughout their childhood that causes the trauma. Like with all complex trauma, it's the, the fact that it happens again and again and again that causes the damage and the harm. We all do it sometimes. I could be completely frank and honest that due to factors beyond our control, my wife and I are aware that we did this to some of our children. It's, it's a mitzvah. They're sometimes impossible not to. And most often, we're simply not aware of it what instead of blame for those who are listening who realize perhaps this is what i'm doing take responsibility we often work with the concepts of responsibility and accountability accountability that's in hashem's hands kodesh Baruch Hu knows what family he put you on the shama in he knows how and where you grew up accountability that's in hashem's hands responsibility that's fully in our hands and for those of us that can learn from the conversation tonight how to limit stop repair and learn to go to our children talk to our children about what happened and find ways to heal the damage take responsibility acknowledge the truth and help the damage if we can do that we'll have done some really godly work tonight so as we walk through this this is just as an introduction it's heavy on my heart that we will 
inadvertently hurt. And I think we have to make sure that that doesn't happen, cannot happen. Thank you, Rabbi for that opening. We're going to turn it over to Rabbi Yaakov Solomon. The floor is yours, Rabbi Yaakov. Shimon, that was just, uh, I didn't know what you were going to say uh, to open up, but it was so important. I really, um, I was going to skip that, but uh, that's the last thing we want to do. And with something like this, this is a topic that is so sensitive. It's so sensitive because it really is rampant. It, it, it happens so much. The question is in degree. And if it, if it, if it reaches the blame area, then we're, we're, we're going in, in the wrong direction. The first thing I want to do is take care of the emotional needs of Usher Parnas. And Usher Parnas has a daughter, Sarah Bela, whose birthday is today. And Usher Parnas is not there for his daughter's birthday, but believe me, he is very capable of, of attending to her needs. If you had asked her if she was on here, she would testify that her father is very capable of that. But she's having a birthday today. I only know this because my daughter was her teacher last year, Mora Gold, the amazing Mora Gold, was her teacher last year. And even teachers attend to the emotional needs of the children, more and more so because school is much more important than it ever was. So the Moras and the Rabbeim are also involved really in bringing up the children, and they're also involved in attending to their needs and to their emotional needs. So I wanted to wish happy birthday to Sarah Bela Parnas. Uh, that's number one. Um, number two, what I wanted to say is that I wanted to thank uh, uh, Usher and uh, Menachem uh, for inviting me back. I've been on twice. Uh, Rabbi Usher, you mentioned I was on right in the beginning when we were just getting going and it was uh, very exciting then. And here we are a couple of years later. I wanted, to, I wanted to thank you for an unusual reason. And that is because frankly, I didn't know much about this topic before you asked me to come, uh, which was a couple of months ago, actually. I knew about it, but I hadn't given it a, a term. I've seen it a lot. Uh, and my preparation from uh, for this program uh, allowed me to gain a tremendous amount of knowledge and sensitivity to the topic. And uh, it enriches my life, enriches my practice. And I, I notice it more and more as I'm uh, learning more about it myself. I'm noticing it more and more, and I'm not yet an expert at trying to help people in get coming back from it, but I'm, I'm getting much better at recognizing it and being able to point out to people what's happening. And I think, Rabbi Shimon, you'll agree, that is at least half, if not more, than, than the beginning of the road back. If you don't notice it, if you're not aware of it, it's, it's not going to happen. I was Zeuche, personally, uh, to grow up with uh, parents who were very loving and very, uh, they were uh, Holocaust survivors. Uh, my father, uh, al was in six different concentration camps. He was born in Poland, in Galicia, and uh, survived the war, miraculously, of course, and came in as a broken man. Emotionally, it's fair to say that he was bereft of all emotion, almost. Uh, as, as one might expect. And yet he remarried 
and started a family with my mother who was from Antwerp, Belgium originally. I wanna give you one example of, of parenting with emotion so we can contrast a little bit. My mother, Allah Shalom, uh, she was a cultured person, grew up in Antwerp. She was a, uh, uh, she went to universities in, in Belgium, uh, the finest universities. And she ran from the Nazis in 1938, left Belgium, was hiding in France for several years and came here on the last ship from Portugal, came to the New York shores in 1943. And my mother uh, was a very, very special, as I say, cultured woman. She was also musical. She played piano and she was actually tone deaf. That's not Lashon Hara. She was tone deaf. I mean, if you heard her sing, you would just, she would break up the crowd. It would be hilarious, but she could play piano. I don't know how she did it, but she played piano beautifully. And of course she wanted me to play piano as well. So when I was very young, 10 or 11 years old, she got me piano lessons. And I thank, frankly, I flourished. I, I was, a, 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 I would say a child prodigy, but I played very nicely. Of course, then 12 years old came. And when 12 years old boys come, they're not so interested in piano anymore. I began, I was interested in the New York Mets and the New York Knicks and everything but music. And Mita Mall, I stopped. And my mother was crushed. She was crushed. I said, I want no piano. She was crushed. No question about it. And I knew it, but I just didn't have any interest. And she was very disappointed. Fl flash forward three years. I was 15 years old now. I'll make this very brief. Um, if I'm allowed to say it on this program, I was watching television at 15 years old. And I saw a program called The Smothers Brothers. Now, if I see any, any nodding heads in the audience, some of you might remember The Smothers Brothers. I fell in love with the Smothers Brothers. And Tommy Smothers was playing a banjo, a banjo on television. And I was enthralled. I said, wow, this is, this is my calling. I ran into the kitchen. I called my mother and I brought her into the living room to the, to the television. I pointed to Tommy Smothers playing the banjo. And I said to my mother, this is what I want to play. My mother, a cultured woman from Antwerp, looked at Tommy Smothers with the banjo playing and looked at me. I thought she would pass out on the spot. She didn't say a word. One week later, she passed by my room. She had a little piece of paper and she wrote on a piece of paper something and she put it into my hand. I opened up the piece of paper and it said, Roy Smeck, 845 West End Avenue, Friday, 1 p.m. I was later to learn that Roy Smeck was a banjo teacher. He was a superstar banjo teacher, retired vaudeville man. My mother, it must have pained her to no end, but she went and found me a banjo teacher. That's what she did. This is attending to my emotional needs. 
I hugged her like you never saw. The love that that came through and said to, and, and she just said to me, it's going to kill me, but you're going to have banjo lessons. And the rest is history, so to speak. And those of you who know me know I still play banjo and ukulele, et cetera. So I, I, I bored you with a long story. I'm sorry, I, I apologize. But I, I'm trying to give you a picture that attending to emotional needs has a very wide spectrum, very wide spectrum. And, and it's a very difficult and it's an amorphous kind of topic. It, you need to really tune into it to be able to understand. It's a feeling that people have I would say that it's unspecific. People uh, who have gone through emotional neglect, they, they, they cannot even describe it. They, they have phrases that they use like, um, I don't know how I feel, or what's the point? They say a lot like, uh, I don't feel anything. I'm, I'm lazy. They're very passive. They would say, um, uh, whatever you want is fine with me. They don't really have conviction. They don't really have opinions. They, they, they feel like they don't want to intrude. They can be very giving because they want to help others because everyone else is more important than them. A lot of people confuse it with depression. And there is some element, I believe, of clinical depression in this. There is an element of that, but it's not exactly the same. You see it in the behavior. Uh, as I mentioned to Rabbi Nachum earlier, behavior is the car that you drive. It's the behaviors that you do, but emotion is the engine. It's the engine of the car. You don't see the engine, the hood is closed. You see the car, you see the car going but it's getting its power from the engine. The behaviors that we do come from our emotions. Our emotions is what dictate how we're going to behave. That's why it's so important. That's why it's important for the parent to attend to the emotional needs, to learn about them. And if you're a person who has gone through this, it is likely two things. It is likely that your parents also went through that it is likely that they did not have their emotional needs met from their parents. And number two, it is likely that you will pass this on, like it or not, to your children. And that's something you don't want to do. And the more aware of it, of it that you are, the better off you're going to be, the better off your children are going to be. And the more aware of it that you are, you will find that you will be able to take steps towards pushing this to the side. It's not gonna go away completely. It's not magical, but there are ways to be able to function better, to get in touch with your emotions and be able to express them. And then also to listen and attend to your children's emotions. And that's what I'm gonna speak about tonight. Beautiful, Rabbi Solomon, wow, powerful. Ooh, okay, we're going to take a little poll, and a lot of questions came in. People are texting. Let me just clarify tonight. Anybody who has questions, uh, there's two Usher Parnas's. Text Usher Parnas-questions. Your questions, obviously, live questions go first. We'll try to get to as many live questions as we could tonight, but um, just letting you know from the amount of emails we got, um, we could do this till about 6, 7 in the morning until we go to Okay, Rabbi Solomon, I think the seek in the 717. Rabbi Russell, you'll catch me. 
Mincha. You can catch Mincha and we'll catch uh, <laughs> Okay, let's start with a poll, which is going to get everybody warmed up a little bit. It's a two-question poll. Answer to the best of your ability to what you think. Number one, do you think emotional neglect is a real problem that affects people or it's just another excuse? One, yes, it's a very serious issue that can destroy a person. Option two, it's an issue, but not nothing seriously, especially compared to, hold on one second, especially compared to real abuse. So, I mean, it's an issue, it's emotional, but real abuse, people that are really abused, you can't compare that. Or option three, it's another made up mental issue to keep the blame game going. Just answer what you feel, what you think, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not a test. Number two, what are the effects, what are the adult effects of childhood neglect? Four options. A feeling of sadness and loneliness, internal loss of confidence and inadequate. Three, not being able to be a good loving parent or option D, all the above plus more. So answer those two questions just to get a feeling of what you think. And then we will share it with everybody. And, um, and then we will get into it. Yeah, Rabbi Salman, you're right about question two. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Confirm, confirm, confirm. You knew that. I knew that, but I want people to say it. I know. Okay, so I'm going to end the poll in a few seconds. One second, most people voted. Let's give me one more minute. Okay, five, four, three, two, one. Okay, so... Basically, very clear answers. Do you think emotional neglect is a real problem that can affect people or just another excuse? So whopping 86%, everybody here tonight feels, yes, it's a serious issue that can destroy a person. Only 12% feel that it's an issue, but nothing serious compared to real abuse. And only 2% of people feel it's another made up mental issue to keep the blame game, blame game going. Number two, what are the adult effects of child neglect? 4% a feeling of sadness and loneliness. 13% internal loss of confidence and inadequateness, 4% not being able to be a good parent. And again, like Rabbi, Sen, Rabbi Salman, I sent him this poll and he said, everybody's gonna choose the obviously. And 79% of people chose all of the above plus more. So uh, Rabbi Salman, Rabbi, Rabbi Russell, anybody wanna comment on these two polls before we get into the questions? Yeah, Rabbi Salman was right. That's sure, <laughs> Russell, he has just under his belt 60 years of experience. So of course he's gonna be right. right. <laughs> Let's jump in. Let's go. Let's, let's start. Okay, let's start with the first question. A lot of questions came in. Let's jump into it. Okay. How about we do what's emotional neglect? Why is it considered abuse? Can we start there? So we, we can let's frame. let's let's yeah, let's get a little bit, you know, maybe maybe let me do it with a question. I have a question that, that will lay it out, but that that's really the, the gist of the question. As a good parent, I find myself at wit's end with my kids streaming, demanding, and being tough. When I'm being honest with myself, my kids are just normal kids. I don't have an abusive home. I didn't I I didn't have such an abusive home, but definitely not loving either. What are some signs that you may be suffering from emotional neglect? Please clarify what emotional neglect is and what it, you know, what it really is. Well, okay, do you mind if I jump in? <clears throat> okay. So look, let's, let's clarify the parameters of what we're talking about. We, we, did, we talked about trauma on the, uh, the other program and discussed that this Emotional neglect is part of what we consider complex trauma. Trauma, as I remind everyone, every time we talk about it, trauma was a word in Hebrew or Aramaic or Yiddish. And we had to touch it into English. We had to translate it into English, the word trauma. 
what it really refers to is disconnect. The Kaddish Baruch Hu protects us, built into us, a mechanism whereby we disconnect from that which terrifies us or horrifies us or frightens us. We disconnect from it. That's what trauma does for us. It disconnects us to keep us safe. In emotional neglect, unfortunately, the, tr the primary tragedy of emotional neglect is that a person doesn't feel safe even with themselves. They feel disconnected from themselves. The difficulty in confronting and facing and treating emotional neglect is there's frequently no event, nothing happened. There was no event that happened that you can point your finger at and say, this is the event that caused me so much harm, that makes me so frightened. And therefore you can work on that event. When you have an event, you can understand it, work on it, and it's much, much easier to heal from it. Complex trauma in general is difficult to heal from. Not impossible, but difficult, because it's a multitude, a myriad of micro traumas. In the case of emotional neglect, the each micro trauma is something that you can't point, point your finger at. It's what didn't happen more than what did happen. What didn't happen was an attunement to your feelings. A child grows up without realizing it, not feeling seen, not being known. And because of that, they feel that their internal sense of self is undermined, is underdeveloped. I'm not sure who I am. I'm not sure how to trust if my feelings weren't reflected back to me, if my parents didn't tune into and show me that they were considerate of and thoughtful of how I'm feeling and what I'm feeling, well, how do I know to trust my own feelings? How do I know to even recognize what I'm feeling and to trust it and to recognize therefore who I am? Because who I am is how I feel. That's the essence of my sense of self. So if I don't know who I am, if I'm not confident in how I feel that my feelings are valid, then I'm not confident in my sense of self. And if I'm not confident in my sense of self, well, how do I do relationships? How do I trust relationships if I'm not sure who I am to begin with or whether I can really trust myself? It ends up with people feeling horribly disconnected from themselves and from their society. You can be in a room, a person with childhood emotional neglect will know the feeling of being in a room like at a simcha amongst lots and lots of people in a crowded place and feeling terribly alone, feeling terribly isolated, feeling terribly disconnected. If your parents didn't notice, value, or respond to your emotions, or they questioned your emotions when you expressed them, then they unintentionally sent a message to you that your feelings don't matter, or there's something wrong with the way you feel. Frequently to cope with it, you learn to bury your feelings. 
or, trans or to transform unacceptable emotions and feelings like anger into acceptable ones like anxiety or depression, as Rabbi Solomon mentioned earlier. Emotional neglect, as I said, mostly happens in the spaces between things where we're not tuned into, felt, or heard. And in such cases, it leaves a person feeling empty, disconnected, and in search of knowing themselves, feeling safe with themselves, trusting their feelings. And of course, if you don't trust your feelings, you don't trust yourself. And if you don't trust yourself, your life is enormously challenging. This is the burden of emotional neglect. It's why it's such an important subject, because it ends up affecting the core essence of who you are, which you then carry through life until you deal with it and treat it. I just can add if uh, that was that was uh, comprehensive, Rabbi Sherman, um, beautifully done. I just will add that um, I, I think the key word, if I had to pick one out, is the emptiness. The emptiness that is that is so profound. Um, uh, sometimes uh, you might put it like it's like I mentioned music before. It's like being a musician in a world without music. You you have no place. You you have no you have no structure. You, you, you don't have a, 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 a sufficient ego or a sense of self to be able to feel like you have something to really contribute and that, and that you matter. Because my feelings don't matter, then I don't matter. That, that's, that's, that's the bottom line. And uh, if, if a child would express feelings uh, in, a, in a dysfunctional home like this, they would be seen as overreacting. Like, what is this? You know, why, if, if you're expressing feeling, you're, you're just overreacting. If you're asking for help, then it's an expression of weakness. Uh, why would one express help? It's an, it's, a, it's an emotion. I feel I need, I need help. No, you're weak. Uh, I'm feeling whatever I'm feeling, you're overreacting. Uh, you're you're a dreamer. You're you're a crybaby. Uh, you may things like this. It's a it's a discounting of of the feeling. It's a, a lack of recognition that feelings count and that they matter. So the child gets gets pushed away, pushed to the side. And a child, being a child, eventually, rather quickly, I would I would say, just uh, concludes that they don't matter. They really don't. And I guess I don't either. And, uh, and, and then of course, it's devastating. Yeah, can I jump in on that, uh, Rubiaco? Yeah. That, look, not noticing, the essence of it is not noticing or caring enough to tune into how our children feel. When we grew up, it was, it, you know, it's a very different world today and today's children. You know, that's a history lesson of how the world changed, but we all know the world changed. But we grew up with a lot of this stuff that somehow we coasted through and we kind of managed. That's not true today. Telling a child, I'll give you a few examples. The covert, there's covert and overt. Overt is the obvious ones where we say things like, for example, a child says a feeling and the parent would say, you don't really feel like that. 
What, what, what is the parent trying to do? They're trying to reassure, guide, direct, encourage, and build their child to deal with it. You don't really feel that way. You see, again, if you said that one time ever, no, no, I'm not yeah. sure it's going to cause much harm. But if that's your go-to, when you see a yeah. child feeling a certain way that you're not happy about, or telling a child, ah, it wasn't that bad. It's not worth getting upset about that. Stop being so dramatic, right? All these kind of lines. If it happens once every now and again, no, no, you know, not the end of the world. But when that's your go-to, when, when your children's feelings scare you, they express feelings, maybe feelings about religious observance, and they're little. I don't want to wash. You're telling a child you shouldn't feel that way. The child says to you, I hate school. And telling them you really shouldn't feel like that. Of course, the parents scared. They're frightened about what's the implications of a child saying, I hate school, but not realizing that tuning into it is the way you actually deal with it and help them with it and help them overcome it. They're expressing feelings. Find out why they hate school, but not you shouldn't feel that way. Even the most simple, most honestly quite ridiculous when you think about it, reflecting backwards. Your child, you serve broccoli for supper. And your child says, I hate broccoli. And the parent says, what do you mean? Broccoli's good for you. It's full of vitamins. Broccoli's great. Eat your broccoli. Now, we probably grew up that way. I don't know. We didn't have broccoli growing up. No. But let's say we did, whatever it was. you know. But telling a child that you don't feel that way, your teacher was mean to you. I'm sure your teacher didn't mean anything. Or I don't like davening. You shouldn't feel like that. It's These a disqualification. Yeah. Disqualification of feelings and telling the children that your feelings are invalid. And then, as bad as all those things are, and they're terrible, when done consistently, when done as the go-to by a parent to try and change the way your child feels, as bad as that is, it's nowhere near as damaging as the covert child emotional neglect by not tuning in, not noticing, not like in your case with the banjo. It's such a, a touching and beautiful story. I mean, just beautiful. Because, you know, for most people, it was, don't, what do you need this nourish kite? Nourish kite, banjo. <laughs> You want to be on television? What's it television? Right. right. Yeah, what, what, what is right. this? Right. 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 Instead of that, the, the attunement is such a touching and profound story because that's attunement and carrying through and tuning into how children feel is how we help them grow up with confidence and security and knowing themselves. Denying the feelings, and as I said, much worse, not noticing that that's how they're feeling or what they're feeling and valuing what they're feeling denies and prevents the development of a secure sense of self, of knowing oneself. And if you don't know yourself and feel secure with who you are, well, your journey through life is going to be challenging and tragic. You're going to carry Just suitcases of emotional burden. Yeah. If, if we can take it to the next level, the example that you gave, let's say a child says, I hate school, I don't want to go to school. The parents are scared. 
they, they just, you know, the bus is coming in two minutes or, or I, I can't talk about it. What would, how should they work on it? What's the, the, the beginning of the response, the healthy response? Coach Menachem, I just spoke. Would you like to speak first? Well, in, in two minutes before the bus comes, there's not much you could do. Uh, so that may right. not be the time that, uh, to set it. But, uh, you know, it, just the fact that when that child comes home from school uh, seven hours later, that the parent will remember what she said uh, before she, you know, before you got on the bus this morning, you said something, and I wanted to discuss that with you. Just the fact that you remember it is already uh, 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 accounting for her feelings, already saying that this is something valuable to talk about. No matter what you say, I, 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 I'm going to divert for a second. Shimon, and this is going to uh, point to that also. When you said that things have changed, in terms of how we grow up, you know? And so I'm starting to think about what has changed. And one of the things strikes me, and I think this might frighten some parents, but one of the things that strikes me is that one of the main things that has changed is that we just don't have patience anymore. We, we, we're so busy. We're so we're busy with our phones and busy with our, our appointments and, and three jobs and large families and for good reasons sometimes. But we're so busy that we don't even notice. We're not even listening to what they're saying. We're not, we're not, we're not, it doesn't even enter into, it's, it's how do I take care of this? How do I, uh, you know, fold up the tablecloth and toss it into the garbage immediately? How do I, you know, because we have to be efficient. We have to save time. We have to move on. We have so many other things to do. And we have 12 simchas to go to tonight. And we have the, 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 a shiva. To, uh, we have so much that's going on that feelings get, get just, placed way, way, way into the back, background, so that they're not, they're, what this, we just don't have time for it. Now, now this is from the healthiest people, from the healthiest parents who are not, did not suffer from it, from their themselves, but the realities of life somehow have placed feelings, emotions, way in the background. You know, we don't have to deal with this. Let's just you know, wrap it up and move on, you know? Don't you think that that's one of the things that has changed and makes it so difficult? Well, there's no question that that, that, that is definitely one of the things that's changed, is that we are distracted. We're, we're in a world distracted right. parent where we're so, our minds are so distracted on so many different things. But really, I was referring to, in, well, let's say in addition to that, the world of children has changed. You know, I have long drushes on that. This is not the time or place for, for this drasha, maybe another time. But in the history of the world, since somewhere in the end of the 50s and 60s, the world changed where the nature and needs of children, children's, children became their status, internal status of children worldwide sort of became elevated and equalized with adults where children see themselves as equals to adults the idea of being seen and not heard is gone that's gone it's victorian that world is over in the world we live today 
you know, the chutzpahyazki world, the world where children react strongly. It's crucial in this world that we tune into our kids' feelings. And it's so simple, like Menachem is asking, you know, what do you do when he's, you, you tell immediately, tell your child, your feelings are important to me. I hear you telling me, I just hear you saying it. And when you get back from school, we're going to talk about it. This is important. And then as Rabbi Solomon said, you make sure that you actually follow through and do that. We have to stop being afraid of how our children feel. In the world most of us grew up in, children's feelings were denied. And we were, so to speak, reorganized in the way we feel by our parents. That is not a way to bring up children anymore. The way that children will deal with their feelings, especially, especially their conflictual or negative feelings, is by being heard. As a matter of fact, all the research shows that when you tune into your children and you keep tuning into how they feel and why they feel that way, they themselves will most times get over those feelings because they understand what their obligations. They know they've got to go to school. Tuning into their feelings about it doesn't empower them not to go to school. It actually helps get deeper inside what's troubling them so they can resolve the issues, put it in perspective, and go back to school. So we have to realize that it is not indulgent. It is not actually empowering those feelings in children when we tune into it. It's the exact opposite. It gives them a chance to process those feelings. And, and the more we do that and tune into it and show them we care about it, the more they then turn to us afterwards having expressed why they don't want to go to school and then say to us, but Tati, what am I going to do? I got to go to school. How do I deal with this? How shall I deal with this? They turn to us with that when we show them their feelings matter. But more importantly, if I can say this, more important even than the event is what we're doing in building their sense of self and showing them they matter and your feelings are valued. That's, I, I can't even express how profound that is for their future life their ability to function, live, get married, build a life and a purpose and meaning is, is dependent on them having a solid sense of self, which comes from us tuning into their feelings. Beautiful. Okay, Rabbi Salman, Rabbi Russell, we're just getting warmed up. Okay, you guys ready? Yep. But we'll go to some live questions. We have a lot of questions that we have to cover. A lot of different angles over here. It's not, there's a lot of things we're going to cover. So uh, the first live question you're on, let's go. First of all, thank you so much. Um, I really felt that your explanation was very validating. And my question is that from my experience, having faced childhood trauma with no emotional love and connection, so I struggle with um, I struggle with with proper um, connection and to continue to fight to feel validated. Like the other day, a relative asked me if I had called my parents to wish a good yamtif, which makes me feel like I'm judged. And it's kind of inappropriate for her to ask me that. So it's really challenging to heal when really what a person needs most is love and warmth. And yet 
it's an uphill battle finding validation within in a world that just seems con to continuously judge. And it, it's something that I struggle with a lot. Can I jump in? You, I, I didn't hear a question, but I heard a very sensitive group of feelings and pain. And, and I hear you. You are obviously exactly what we're talking about. A very fine person who's struggling with this sense of self. Can I ask you a question that I'd like your answer on? Would that be okay? Sure. Okay. I wonder what would have happened if that relative who'd called you and said to you, I understand why it may be so, so hard for you to call your parents and wish them good yantav. I noticed how you grew up and I'm so sorry for what I saw and couldn't do anything about it. And it must be very hard for you. Do you think you might want to do that more or less, call them if someone spoke to you like that? Like that? For sure, I would want to do it more. Yeah. You see, what you've just said is it just it just makes me so proud of the human spirit of the way we all are, that what we really need right now in our lives is the attunement and validation for what we went through, which actually frees us to do the right thing, the thing we really want to do, the thing we really crave to do, the thing that our brain tells us we should be doing that we can't do without the emotional validation and support and understanding of our feelings. And look what happens. The moment you get validated, you actually, on your own, without being patronized or told what to do, you step forward and want to do it. I think it's, so, it's such a beautiful testament to what this work is all about, that if you can get that validation and get that, if we can offer that to each other, that validation and support, it frees us to be the person we really want to be. Thank you so much for your comments. Thank Perfect. you, I appreciate it very much. This topic is something that I feel will really help a lot of people. And I think it'll help the world to understand and recognize the fact that just loving and warmth and care will help people move on much quicker. Exactly, exactly, that's an excellent point. You know, I wanted to, I think, Rib Shimon, you, you know, as I know in our many years of work, let's keep it at many, that in couples therapy, uh, we do this all the time. And we try to teach the couples that they need to validate uh, each other's feelings in the marriage. And some of the resistance that we get, I'm sure you have it the same as I do, is that people mistake, I just want to say it very clearly, that people mistake valid, validation for agreement. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, they, and they feel like, if I can't validate because I don't agree with her. Yes. And you need, we need to, uh, need to teach people that they're very different. They're very, you can disagree and validate at the same time, you know? And, and when we do this with our children, or as you pointed out with this woman who was, you know, who was being judged in that way, it just, as you say, just validating her feeling doesn't mean that it's correct, doesn't mean that you're right, doesn't mean that you're the same, I feel exactly the same as you. It just means that you matter and your opinion matters and your, and your position is, is worthwhile. 
Not, yeah. Nothing more than that. And that is the gas. If we spoke about the car and the engine, the validation is the gas that goes into the engine, which then moves the car. And you can't move without the gas. And, and that, that's the whole energy. That's where it comes from. It's not rocket science. It's that's rocket right. fuel. That's what it is. We spoke about this together at the last Kesha Nafshi conference. That's right. On this exact subject of validation. Exactly truth, right. When you look at the word validation, the, the word is valid. What does valid mean? It means you're a valid person. When you tune into someone's emotions and feelings, a child, you're telling them you're valid as a person. That's right. the core of your sense of self. Now, of course, as a parent, it doesn't mean I agree you should never go to school again. Right. You hate school. I get that. Let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. Let's work that out. And what's absolutely extraordinary with children, as it was with this wonderful lady who just came on, is the same thing, that as you validate the feelings, the child themselves tend to orient towards fixing the problem themselves which is remarkable. I mean, it's such a, we unleash the power of healing and growth by Bode, tuning. Bode it's absolutely remarkable, right. remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to mention, I'm getting a tremendous amount of text. Anybody who's texting, there's a lot of questions coming in, a lot of comments. Text Usher Parnas questions. There's a big wait. We're going to do a few more live, then we'll go to some of the pre-questions also. Yeah. Okay, the next live question, you're on. Hi. Hello. Um, thank you very, very much. And I have to say that Hashem, I don't have children at risk or like titled in pain. And I've listened to just about every single share of Rabbi Russell's. Um, and it's helped me tr tremendously connect with my children to try and prevent that kind of um, circumstance. So I really appreciate all the information. Um, with that, I will say that I... I'm in my 30s, and I had um, over two decades of sexual abuse from a, a, um, a relative of mine. And um, of course, my parents have tremendous guilt that they didn't have proper attachment with me, and that's why I was abused, et cetera. Um, my message, I guess, um, together with a question is, um, my message is that my parents are unbelievable people and they are right now in their 60s and they are learning tremendous amounts by different books I got them. They always want more information on connection and healthy attachment and, and they're, they're really helping me heal. Um, I, I've been to many therapists and with the help of those many therapists, I would say it's a 50-50 um, it's a 50-50 go um, that parents should never underestimate their ability, however old they are. And I'm sure there are many hundreds of people listening that are over the age of 40, 50, 60, even 70. And, and they should never underestimate their ability to make that repair and to, to properly attach to their even adult child. It's, 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 it's incredible. The, 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 I mean, the healing that has come just from that alone, 
just from a parent to call and say, I know you're in pain and I hear you and I couldn't hear you then and I hear you now and I want to know what you have to say and know you're not a drama queen and know you're not over dramatic and know you're not overly sensitive. Those phrases to hear from the parent themselves is priceless. So I wanted to just share that. Um, I, I, with that, I, I I have a specific question about a certain child of mine. I am very emotionally in touch with my children, Baruch Hashem, with a lot of guidance. And I have one child who really resists um, praise, compliments. She's extremely bright beyond her years. And, um, and I wanna know how could I get through to that child? Whenever I validate her, she pushes it away. She doesn't appreciate it. Should I just keep doing it? Or, or should I try and back down and just do like hugs that she'll accept better than words, um, you know, different comments that I don't want to share publicly that she says that are, you know, scary for, for a parent to hear, um, calling out for attention and attachment. What, um, what, what we, what's your suggestion? That's one. And two is I have another child who, who carries on. It could be for hours on end. And I find that when I validate her to the point where we're emotionally in sync, um, I find that it just makes her feel weaker and less held. So my question is, I know it's a fine line to be holding and to be, um, and to be emotionally attentive and attached um, and, and, you know, all, all of this, um, I don't know how to say it exactly, but, um, how do, how do I not bring her down and how do I, um, I guess, strengthen her with the attachment as opposed to her carrying on and on and on and just feeling more and more schwach. Thank you very much. Yeah, if you want to go, shall I? Uh, either way, I have what to say, but so do you. And, what are you and you're much older than me, so. <laughs> go ahead, you go. On the other hand, I'm wearing a tie. So uh, that, that counts. I, I, I'm so impressed. I don't know who you are, of course. But uh, first of all, with your first comment about how parents who are already uh, in their 50s, 60s, even 70s are still able to make repair and can be involved in connecting with their adult children is such an important and marvelous comment uh, that, I mean, I certainly wasn't planning on, on going there at all tonight, uh, but uh, to include that into this conversation is exceptionally uh, important. Uh, I really, I think everybody needs to hear that. You know, you think, oh, my, my kids are adults already, forget about it, you know, we're done. But you're, you're not done, you're not done at all. Uh, your adult children can need you very much and need you to not ignore them or neglect them in any way. That, that's, that's amazing. Um, as regards to your questions, uh, the very compelling questions, uh, the first child uh, seems to shun uh, all the attention that you're giving her. And, uh, and doesn't want the, uh, the validation, et cetera. Now, there can be several reasons why, why that's happening. I don't know how old she is, but there can be, there can be many reasons why, why that's happening. But one of the reasons that, that strikes me, and I don't, uh, again, I don't wanna be judgmental in any way, but there is such a thing as uh, crowding a child. There is such a thing. 
there is such a thing as not giving the child enough space. Uh, I'm not saying necessarily that that is what's happening here, but I think it needs to be mentioned that while we're so attuned to our children, sometimes we can then become obsessed with our children and we could see them as an extension of ourselves or uh, in, in, in such great need that we become one. That is not the intention the Rabbani Shalom had in making us with our children and putting us and making us into one. We are not. Our children are, are separate from us, as attuned as we must be. Rabbi Yochanan Zweig, I remember once, pointed out that the word for a child in Aramaic is bar. And bar in Aramaic also means to separate. It's the same word. And uh, we need to uh, work on that, giving them that their own place, their own uh, opportunity to grow uh, in the way that they want to do. So as again, I'm, I'm not saying that's necessarily what's happening here, but it may be important to point out that that does exist uh, in, in, in many families. And, and especially parents who are very afraid uh, of how the children are going to uh, develop and they need the, the helicopter parent, so to speak, and becoming very over-involved with them. A quick, quick thought from the Altamik Helm because I just cannot resist it. Yitzchok and Rivka did not have children. What did they do? They davened. They went into their separate corners. And what does the, uh, the Medrash says? It says, says Rashi, Yitzchak's tefillahs were answered before Rivka. Why? Why? Uh, um, chauvinistic or what? No, a tzadik ben tzadik, which was Yitzchak, is answered before a tzaddik ben Russia, which is Rivka of 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 of, of, of Lovan. So and Besuel. So why is that? Asked the Altamikelm. Why would a tzaddik ben tzaddik's tefillahs be greater? Maybe a tzaddik ben Russia, a balas tshuva. She made it on her own. Why shouldn't she have her tefillahs answered first? Listen to the insight of the Altamikelm. It's such a life lesson. The life lesson is, he says, that to be a tzaddik ben Russia is relatively easy. You grow up in a house of Besuel, you grow up in a house of love, and you say, what is, what is this? Well, I, I want no part of this. I want to, I'll, I'll make my own space. That's not so difficult. But imagine, he says, Yitzchak growing up in the house of Avram and Sarah. Oh, says, uh, Avram and Sarah, these are the greatest people who ever lived. I must be exactly like them, says Yitzchak. No, no. I'm not going to be exactly like my parents. Their Nikuda was chesed. He finds his own way, gevura. It's his own way. He's a tzaddik in the house of a tzaddik, but he's his own tzaddik. He's not a tzaddik like Avram and Sarah. He's his own tzaddik. Those tefillahs of a, someone who made himself, he made himself and resisted. Would have been easy to be just like Avram and Sarah. He said, no, I can still be a tzaddik, but not like them. 
I'm just pointing out the beauty, the value of being able, and I, I always add to that, if, I've, if I'm allowed to add to that, that it must have been some parents like Avram and Sarah that encouraged that and said to Yitzchok, good, good, you find your own path. You find your own path. How validating is that, I say, to be able to say, you don't have to be exactly like me. So maybe, maybe with your child who's shunning that, maybe you need to back off a little bit, have your presence felt, back off a little bit. Maybe she's feeling like it's too important to you and and there's too much involvement. It's just a theory. It's just a a perhaps. So I'm, I'm putting it out there as an example. As always, um, if I could add, I, I felt the same way that you did for the comments this um, young lady made about um, her parents tuning in. The, here's the facts. Most, most of us in our development, it's when we become young adults that we really begin to grapple with the impact of our own childhood neglect. It's most often when we see how we end up bringing up our own children, our own struggles, informing a family, tuning into our children, that we go to therapy. And that's when people become aware of what happened to them most. It's the time when their parents are most needed to do the repair work, to cut, to step forward. I mean, she's a very fortunate lady and halavai we would all as parents i've had the schuss many many times in my career of having parents in their 60s and 70s willing to step up and want to learn and understand and recognize what happened and when it's done without blame without the, the insinuation that somehow they didn't care but instead done with a full compassion of their own sorrow frequently their own sorrow of what they've done and when their adult children share that with them in the context i know you didn't mean this but here's what happened and parents can step up the healing is absolutely remarkable and that's precisely the time where most of this healing can can be done that's number one i say to us at you know at our age when our children are growing up that's when they need us in many many ways most to wow. help them with their healing and we can do so much it's mind-boggling how much we can do number two i would say also that what i was again this is this is a a conversation without ever meeting her talk with you know if you're listening still we don't know you we don't get a chance to process with you so this is about as generic as it gets but i think there's a huge nutkamina a huge difference in complimenting and complimenting which many kids hate they hate it because they feel it's a mechaev. We're, we're, we're making expectations of them that this is the way you now have to be. That's not what we're talking about. Attunement is about tuning into their emotions and feelings and just simply reflecting back to them that I noticed how you feel. Most children are going to be okay with that. Whereas the complimenting and complimenting and praising which very frequently happens with parents who didn't get that themselves as a child and so badly want to give that to their children. The children frequently experience that as a burden, as an expectation. You're creating an expectation of who I have to be now, and they don't want to hear it. 
Whereas if we stay attuned simply to noticing how our children are feeling or reflecting it back to them in a non-judgmental way, most children will flourish from that experience. Okay, beautiful. Um, let's take one more live, then we have a lot more questions I still want to cover tonight. Okay. Maybe we'll get to more live afterwards, but let's just do this one. Hi, you're on. Hi. Hi. Hi, okay, so um, I, I actually grew up not only with emotional neglect, I grew up um, with a lot of abuse and um, physical abuse, whatever. Um, and I, I listened a lot to Rabbi Russell's, um, like all his speeches and everything. And I'm also in therapy and doing a lot of healing. So I realized a lot of times that I have like, I, I'm always afraid that I'm neglecting my children. And um, <laughs> I'm just, um, I, I'm having stage right. Um, so I'm just, I'm worrying, like I'm constantly worrying because I get all the awareness and all the, when I'm listening to all the speeches, I sometimes realize that I would, I should have spoke, I should speak to my children or tune in, but I'm running on empty. Like the title said on the, and this coachman, it said like running on empty. I do feel a lot of times that I don't have like, I'm limited. I'm very limited. I'm healing and I'm doing the work and everything, but sometimes I'm, I'm not capable to tune in. And I'm constantly worrying that I hope my children are like, what's gonna happen to them? You know, like there is so much a person who grew up with the amount of abuse that I grew up with can, you know, do. Sure. Can I can I just reflect back to you? Your children are fortunate they have you. And they're fortunate because you're aware of what happened. You're aware of how it impacted you. It bothers you when you're not able to give them what they need. You're very, very, very much on the journey of recovery. And Kodesh Baruch Hu gave you your children because of you. Because he saw this is the kind of person that you're going to be. Um, what you need to do is simply continue doing it. This recovery from emotional neglect is not an event. It's a process. As cliched as that sounds, it's the absolute truth. There is no button we can press to rewire ourselves instantly. It's not possible. What we can do is consistently work at it and over the years of you continually working at it, and when you recognize you didn't do it the way you wanted to, you weren't able to tune in, and you look at yourself afterwards, and you say, shucks, I, I feel so bad, I wish I'd said that differently. Go back to your kids, go back to them and talk to them again, and keep doing it again and again. Children, the nature, the way Hashem made the world, is the nature of children is to be forgiving. As parents, what we need to do is act and conduct ourselves in a way that we become a person that our child would want to forgive. And if we become that person, our child will not only forgive us, but they will wish to attach to us in a way that they see us with respect and dignity and reverence because we asked for that forgiveness, because we connected with them. So just keep doing what you're doing. I think it's exceptional. Beautiful. Just remember, it's a process. It's not an event. 
It's, it's, it's extremely valuable. I, I admire your, your, your courage for coming on and talking about it so openly, by the way, and I'm sure Kodesh Baruch will, will give you a refuah shalema, but uh, I want to point out two things that uh, may be important. Number one is that when you find yourself to be unavailable or incapable of reaching out and connecting with your children, you might be able on a limited basis to at least say that to them, at least to be able to say, I'm, I can't hear you now. I know that you're saying something important. I value what you're saying, but I'm not available now to do that because I'm just not capable at this point. Even that it is something, it's an acknowledgement. It may not be a complete validation as we're calling it, but it's an acknowledgement. It means something. Number two is that there are many ways of being attuned. And one of the ways that you might find that you're more capable in those times when you feel distant or weak or unable is that you may be able to do it in writing. You may be able to send a text message. You may be able to send a little note and just saying, you know, I heard what you said. I understood what you said. I value your opinion and your feeling. Your emotion matters to me. Just saying a couple of lines, even if you're not there and you're not present at all. But today, thank God, we have many ways of communicating. And, in the, and, in, and if you can do it in, in writing or through text, again, it's something. It, it matters. People, you know, even, I, I tell you the truth, I, I send like a text to somebody and they ignore me. They don't, I feel bad. Now I'm a pretty healthy guy, you know, pretty much, but why are they ignoring me? It, it tells me like, if you're not such a healthy person, wow, that's really going to matter. So if you're able to just respond in any way, in any way at all, even without being present, I, I think you, you may be able to feel better about that there's some connection there. Okay, I just want to jump on one more live that came up and then we'll go to the questions. Okay, you're on. Okay, uh, I would like, first of all, to really thank the uh, one before, uh, uh, Sophia, who appears uh, like to uh, twice before for her, what she said about her parents and also for her <clears throat> for her ability to be forgiving, because it's like an opening from both sides, which is what uh, Rob Russell just mentioned before, which I think is just amazing and very heartwarming. So uh, my question is, uh, I think many of the people mm, uh, who are maybe online are uh, maybe either uh, children of Holocaust survivors or grandchildren of Holocaust survivors. And um, I think that many of the, those Holocaust survivors uh, had to numb out themselves to their emotions just as a survival mechanism because it, they, they lived through so much trauma and pain that this was the most intelligent way their nervous system could adapt to the situation. So children who grew up in a house where emotions were not, where, where parents could not contact their emotions because, because of that. Um, we're not exposed to an emotional warm environment. Um, and they grew up uh, maybe numb to their emotions for a very different reason. And this is being, uh, being passed from generation to generation until somebody 
either starts therapy or I, I would like to know what is your uh, advice for to stop the the epigenetics. Um, what's the what? How do we stop generational emotional neglect? You know, thank you for the question. The sensitive question, the way you said it. You know, though, uh, when I first started my career over 30 years ago, I was working with survivors. Over the years, I worked more and more with children of survivors. Today, I'm working with grandchildren of survivors. And we're all, those of us in the field, you know, for a period of time like this, are all watching exactly what you're describing, which is this um, transmission of experience where ways of survival became cultural and um, became the uh, the desired way to bring up children where they were really based on simple survival skills from the Holocaust. So two of the main themes that I noticed over the years were those that don't do love in an overt way. We don't kiss. We don't talk about love. We don't use the word love. What they do instead is care. They feed you. They make sure they feed you and they clothe you. They shelter you. They take care of your physical needs, but they don't do love because that was clearly taken from them in the Holocaust. And then there are those who frequently will overprotect, overshelter. You know, it starts getting cold and the first flurries of snow come down and they'll be making sure there's five or six layers of clothing on their children with gloves and scarves and earmuffs and everything and boots and all sorts of things to protect them from the element because they're frightened, they're overprotecting. So yes, we see this transmission of experience that's happening and is so pervasive in our communities. The awareness of it, the willingness to acknowledge that when our children feel there's something off. You see they're resistant and they're, they're, they're looking at their friends. They're looking at their peers and see they're dealt with differently. So then we need to reflect back and ask ourselves, is what I'm doing really helpful to my child's development? Is it attuned to what they need, to what their feelings, what they are feeling? Or is it something that I'm panicking inside, following some sort of program inside me that tells me what I'm meant to do. And that's the separation. That's the piece that we all, everyone in therapy will learn to understand, the, to distinguish between what I'm feeling inside that tells me how I'm meant to behave, as if there's some program informing me and compelling me to treat my children a certain way, because my brain tells me my internal program tells me this is what I meant to do, as opposed to stepping back for a moment when I recognize them, but tuning into my child's feelings and needs and inquiring or reflecting and thinking about, I wonder what they need, separating from the imposition of my belief system, as opposed to the attunement of feeling and thinking and being aware of what my child is actually feeling right now. All the work on breaking that transmission will be found in this piece where we separate from 
me simply imposing my internal program on my children as opposed to stepping back for a moment just pausing just for a moment in in all trauma work we need to take that pause and just step back for a moment and and ask ourselves huh i wonder what it is my child actually needs right now and try to tune into their feelings in a, in a very simplistic way this is where we begin to break that transmission Rabbi Yaakov, would you like to add no i think you i think you covered it very well i think you really did nothing nothing to add okay thank you for the child from the child holocaust survivors i take that as a deep compliment yeah no it's okay so i i'll thank just you. read you the next question that was sent in it is clear to me that I'm a victim of childhood emotional neglect, and my awareness has definitely made me a better parent. But sometimes I feel that no matter how hard I try to be close to my kids, especially the teenagers, they pull away from me. What am I doing wrong, and how do I fix it? Go ahead, Rabbi Yaakov, it's all your yeah, you know. You know, I think it would be a mistake for us to uh, sit here tonight uh, in the comfort of our of our homes, so to speak, and uh, pontificate about emotional neglect and pretend that there are no other factors that are involved in child rearing and, and proper development. There are so many, you know, being a good parent is so complex. And as Reb Shimon mentioned before, today more than ever. So th there are so many different factors that are involved and, and we're not experts. You know, we don't know exactly what to do. We don't know each child needs something different. We don't know exactly, this one seems to need me all the time. This one seems to never need me. Uh, what, is that, what does that mean? Well. They, they have very different needs. So, uh, you know, the question uh, is important, but at the same time, it's almost impossible to just pick it out and say, I can tell you what you're doing wrong. Uh, uh, I don't know uh, what's happening in your home. I don't know how many different uh, uh, complexities there are involved in uh, the proper response and why a child will pull away uh, in Rab Shimon's book, which I have not read, I guarantee you that he deals extensively with children who pull away and, and why they pull away and what to do about it. And even that, with, with all due respect, will still not cover all the different uh, uh, complicated factors that are involved. I mentioned earlier kind of a helicopter parent type of thing. That's, that's one of the things. Um, I know Rav, Rav Schwab, pointed out that in the Pasuk that says, and then it says, in between those two statements, there's another statement of the if you steal, kidnap, and all the Mepharshim ask, what is, what is that, what is the, the, the Pasuk in, in the middle and doing in between being Maka of Avimai and Mekal of it? What is the Gainate? And he says, 
curiously that sometimes the parent will be guilty of stealing his child and stealing his child for his own purposes, the gaynev ish. And he, he could actually steal him because the, uh, uh, especially this happens, by the way, as we mentioned with the parent, with Holocaust survivors who are so involved in that way. So that can be another reason why children pull away. They're trying to establish themselves. They're trying to be the tzaddik ben tzaddik, the Yitzchak in the house of Ram. Of Avram, it doesn't mean that Avram and Sarah, they could have said, what, do you, what was wrong with our, you didn't like chesed? What was wrong with our way of raising you? We had very important values to impart. What were you doing going off on your own, finding this, this Gavura thing? What was that all about? And they may have called in to Coach Menachem and, and, and said, no, our child, he's pulling away. He's finding his own path. But they, but they didn't do that. So my best advice is that respect. The child not only needs validation, but, but he needs respect. Um, the, the Rambam says that the same way that a Rebbe, that a, that a Talmud has to be have, have covered for his Rebbe, the Rebbe has to have covered for his Talmud. You'll see it in the Rambam, Hilchus Talmud Torah. It says it the Farish. Imagine that, that you know, talking about um, how many, 900 years ago? Imagine that 900 years ago, he's telling you that the Rebbe has to respect the Talmud. What does that tell us? Uh, of, course, of course, what does it say about the man? But what does it tell us about us today? That children also need respect. So if they are not responding and they're pulling in a different direction, that's when they need you most. That's not a time for you to say, uh, I'm lost. Uh, he's, 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 he's running his own show now. And what should I do to, to, to reel him back in? That's not the goal. The goal is not to reel him back in so you can take him off the hook and put him into your box. That's not the goal. The goal is to join him on his path, bless him, and say, I'm here if you need me. Let's, uh, we got a good question over here. You ready? Ready for now? Now it's already getting late. So now you know, it gets more, more entertaining. Ready for some Just getting started. Just getting started. Russell, you ready? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, here we go. We married off our children and we're close to our six, we're close to our 60s. And now many years later, our children, while raising their own children, are staying distant from us. They feel we didn't give them love and care of emotional support through their childhood years. I tried to talk to them saying we did the best we knew. And, and back in those days, the way we're parenting in Chinuch was, was different. Today's new generation is more into this unconditional love and support. Um, but we were not raised like this. And I don't understand. Your program is part of today's problem. Everyone plays the blame game. My parents neglected me. My rabbanim destroyed my confidence. The media is too powerful to fight. Nobody accepts responsibility. Maybe if we stop coddling our kids and going soft on them, we could restore normalcy to our crazy world. Am I wrong? So do you mind if I take this first? Akasham. You're wrong. Okay, Yaakov, you want to say something? No, no. Vakasha. I, I just answered the question. Oh, you're I wrong. see you there. <laughs> you're wrong. The answer is yes, you're wrong. You stole, you stole my speech. <laughs> As a matter of look, 
As a matter of fact, this is what I said in my opening statement. I was am very concerned that we don't do the blame game. The programs like this and magazines, wonderful magazines in the Jewish community that explore contemporary issues, that we don't distort this into a blame game. We're trying to highlight problems and create more love, harmony, forgiving, and connection. That's really what we're after. The when when I heard Usher, uh, Usher, when I heard the way the question was phrased, internally I was already beginning to cringe. You know, <laughs> after the the second sentence, because the moment a parent reckon I can tell you, I'm an adult grandparent. And I recognize due to circumstance, I don't go into the circumstances, but there were a variety of circumstances in the journey of our family where my wife and I were not able to be fully attuned. We were simply prevented by many circumstances beyond our control from attuning properly to our children who many of them were hurt. I can tell you that when we approach it from the if god forbid as a parent now a grandparent obviously if we approach the uh, our adult children from the any perspective of defensiveness i did the best i could i tried as hard as i could you know today you're, you're molly coddled if we if we approach it from a perspective of defensiveness there is no way our children are going to want to work that through they're going to end up needing to protect themselves and stay separate. Unfortunately, this tragedy that's hit the world of parental alienation comes exactly because of this kind of defensiveness. You know, I once made the observation, that, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's my personal observation. The Chinuch, the, the Sefer Chinuch, gives a time for Kibbutz Ve'en. And the time he gives is because of Akar Satay, that we should have a Karsatot with our parents. And I was thinking to myself frequently that imagine if God forbid we use that. He didn't mean to use that as a hammer, that we need to hammer our children into realizing, you know, let's get angry with them and teach them and preach to them. You better have a Karsatot. He's never going to create the Karsatot that the, the, the Sefer Chinuch was talking about. The Chinuch was talking about where we do attuned parenting and we care for and love our children properly guess what it is natural that they have a karsatoktas it naturally flows out of them a karsatoktas and a hammer that we're meant to pound them with demanding that they have a karsatoktas well in the same way if as now grandparents we approach our adult children with any form of defensiveness they're going to put up walls and they're going to feel a continuation of the very hurt they're trying to express. Whereas if we humble ourselves and we approach our children and say to them, I, I don't know what happened, but it's crucial to me. It's really important to me to understand your pain and your hurt. They forgive and they want to connect. I can tell you, I had a story. I wrote it in the I put it, I'm very vulnerable. If you want to see the entire vulnerable side of Shimon Russell, you'll get my book and read it because it's all there. We decided to put it all in. I just felt it was dishonest. Anything else was just dishonest. And I put a story there where one of my children once called me into therapy because he was very angry with me. 
adult child. In fact, the therapist he went to was someone who I had helped and supervised, who was actually <laughs> terrified, terrified of having this experience of having me come into therapy with, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking <laughs> That's about. That's amazing. And I went and I told him, don't worry, just do one thing, make sure you have the back of my child. You make sure you have their back. And if you feel I'm not tuning in to their feelings, then you call me on it and you tune me in. That's all you have to do. I'll take care of the rest. And we had a session. And in that first session, it was a, it was a double or triple session. This child of mine ripped me to pieces and told me I should have known better. And I'm the famous therapist and you should have known better. And I'm very angry with you and let me have it. Really let me have it. It was so painful, the experience, the things he said about me, that it took me, I couldn't even, I was alone in this session and um, I couldn't even call my wife afterwards to tell her it was so painful. It took, I walked, I just walked the streets for an hour or two, just, just to recover from the experience. I offered him, do you want to do it again a few weeks later? And we did it again and it happened again. And he let it out and I embraced, absorbed and accepted his feelings and his perspective. Let's jump forward. It was two sessions and it was done. And afterwards I asked him if he needs more and he said, no, he's fine. I waited 10 years. It was over 10 years before I asked him, can you tell me what that was all about? All that anger and pain because he didn't tell you he just expressed this anger and pain at me and he, 10 years later he looked at me and he said no i don't remember it was gone it was completely gone and healed because i sat with him and was willing to embrace wow wow what an example kids we don't mean to and we can do it. But if as mature adults, we're going to be willing to accept that, to understand that, and at any stage of life, be willing to tune in, to understand their hurt and pain. Hashem made the Matthias, the Teva, that our children will want to forgive us. The question is, are we willing to place ourselves in that place where we want to receive that forgiveness by understanding their hurt? That's the real question. Wow. Would you recommend it to everyone or maybe some people is not going to die to do that? Um, you know, as a therapist, I can tell you, you know, I've succeeded and I failed. I've tuned in and I've not. I've been helpful to some and not helpful to others. I dare say there are people there who feel I hurt them. I'm sure of it. None of us are perfect as therapists, nor is therapy a perfect model of life. But the vast majority of people, if they can connect in therapy with humility and vulnerability, will discover that you can move very quickly beyond your struggles and issues. As parents, if we would simply humble ourselves, we discover that our kids want to love us, want to connect to us. They want to sit in our sukkah. They want to be at our Pesach Seder. The thing that interferes with that is us, not them.
And if we would use therapy as a vehicle with humility and vulnerability, we discover the incredible respect our children can even later in life learn to have for us. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you, Rabbi Shimon, and uh, Menachem, you asked me if this is for everybody, and I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm thinking, what would I say? What would I say? Is it really for everybody? And I, I'm, I mean, you don't need, you don't need me to be so impressed with you, Rabbi Shimon. You're, you're, you're well, well beyond that. But I, I, I'm just listening to you, and, and I'm sure I'm picturing it and how difficult that was, and how what a great job you did. And I'm thinking, as Rabbi Menachem's asking, was that for everybody? My first inclination was no, that's not for everybody, because some people cannot do it sincerely. They cannot pull it off. It'll sound phony. That was my first reaction. Are you ready? And my second reaction was, you know what? Even phony might be okay. It might not be great, but the, if, if they need it so badly, then even if it's not completely sincere, but they're trying and they don't do that good a job, it may be good too. What do you think? I couldn't agree more. Really? You know, I often tell my clients, why don't you get it, try to get it wrong first and then get it right wow i love it get it wrong first get it get the juices going you'll get it wrong and then you'll acknowledge that that's learning too and then you'll get it right i love it i'm still learning from you <laughs> i love it it. it it isn't easy but i can tell you this the richness and reward of being vulnerable with our children and honest the reward is so astonishing there's no treasure there's nothing as priceless and valuable as us humbling ourselves and noticing how our children are willing to forgive and reconnect is remarkable there's no there's no treasure or pleasure greater than that wow that's so beautiful you know i'm listening to this question and i'm saying intuitively i agree with him because i'm old school and, you know, let's not coddle and let's demand from them because intuitively uh, I, I feel that. But I know, I know because I've learned and I've read that everyone who we respect does not agree with that approach. Rabbi Shlema Volba in Ali Shor says very clearly it's not the same anymore. Rabbi Gamliel in Eretz Yisrael He's very come out many times and said, no, this is a different generation. He actually said, now that I remember, his mother, his mother said, I, I, I don't even understand this quote. Maybe you could explain it. That if the Torah, if the Torah was given today, instead of it would have said that parents need to be children. It's it's quite a it's uh, whatever you, however you want to understand it. Ten generations, you shall me. She said it. Amazing. Ten generations, you, you listen to this, folks. 
Whoa, thousands of you who are listening live and on tape later, listen to that again. Ten generations, Yerushalmi. And she says, if the Torah was given today, it would say the parents would have their children. It's a different world. It yes. is a different world. And, and, and you said it so beautifully. That's exactly what, what, what it's so powerful. It's so it's powerful. Funny. Once had a couple I worked with doesn't matter the details, a long story, but the husband got lost. He was lost. There's no question he was lost. And later he woke up, but he quoted in the session. He was being very tough on his wife about learning. He's going to learn. And he's been very tough on her that she has to, she married him. So he's learning, you know, etc. And he was lost. He was a child of survivors. He was just lost. And then he quoted this Chazal. La'olam tia achza lebeza. And he said this line in front of me. I, I was flabbergasted. Like, where do you go with that? So I said to him, there was in those days in our base of Madrash in Lakewood, in the alumni base of Madrash, there was a Talmud Hochum. We miss him. Zeich Sadiq Kodesh Lebrach Ran Kreiser. Ran was. An unusual human being, compassionate, Tom Talk, a Muflug. Bruch Molshin said his 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 bathing, he said, Mi Aaron la Aaron lo conca Aaron. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. Anyway, so I said, maybe we should go and ask Ravan Kreiser what he thinks about your learning on based on this chazal, laugh on your wife and go learn. So he was masking him. So we went to Ravarn and we, and I said my side of the story. And he, this younger man, said he's learning and he has to be tough on his wife to go and learn the Absalabesa. So Ravarn heard both sides and he listened and then he leaned forward and he said to this younger man, Du bist gerecht. He said, You're right. And I was kind of taken back. And then he said to him, But to do it, First, he said, you have to be achza on yourself. Be an achza, be achzarius on yourself. Tell me something. Have you ripped yourself apart to be loving to your wife? Did you rip yourself? Did you kill yourself to be loving to her first? Because if you did that, then you could do the other. Do that first. Wow. I I think that's the message with our children, we expect our children, especially our adult children, to suddenly like put aside all the childhood abuse, the neglect, the hurt, that many of us did without realizing, with no clue what it was, especially the children of survivors had no clue. And and so many people for circumstances that were simply beyond their control. But my gosh, I can tell you that if you humble yourself as a mature adult and, and your achza on yourself, you rip yourself to pieces first and you humble yourself. It is tether that your children will emerge to be mechabed you. They will be inspired by your example. They will be in awe of who you are and respect you for what you've done to yourself and learn from you. And emulate and emulate you. The journey of parenting isn't over as long as you have parents. It's never over. And we can offer that to our children and inspire them. And I 
contend and I've witnessed and seen and done it with my clients and certainly done it with myself, that your children will turn around and respect you for it and be inspired by you Gold. for doing it. Gold. Wow. Okay. Let's go. Yeah, there's a live question on. You're on. Hi. You hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, first of all, I just want to say that I am gaining so much. Um, and I love the quote that Russell just said, try to get it wrong first and then get it right. Um, I feel that probably a lot of us who live with emotional neglect are scared to get things wrong and maybe um, hold back. So it's like letting you do it wrong. It's like, oh, wow, I have permission that I don't have to get it perfect. I don't have to you do it 100% right. And then I'll learn from there. So I really like that quote along with everything else. Um, my question is, um, I have uh, I lived with a chronic illness for um, a bunch of years, I guess, since my young 20s. And um, I've heard a lot that since I've also, I guess, now growing up as an adult, I realized I have lived with emotional neglect, maybe at home and even in school in general. Um, you know, if you're not, I, I guess, growing up, if you weren't a lot of times a student, you just got lost in the background and you just went from grade to grade to grade. Um, so I think that's part of it besides at home. Um, so I've heard that chronic illness can kind of be trauma that's trapped in your body. Um, and if you don't, I've heard that if you don't get the trauma out, it's very hard for your body to heal. So I have worked on myself a lot to try to get over a lot of things. But my question is, as I guess, as therapists, how much do you see the chronic illness and trauma relationship? And how can you kind of get yourself out of that? I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. You are. You're right. There must be books written exactly on that subject. And, and I feel for you and uh, respect you very much that you're still working at it. Uh, somatic experiencing is a marvelous, marvelous vehicle. I would look for an SE therapist, an experienced SE therapist, and do some work with them. Uh, that's a great starting place. You can really, really have tremendous healing and get this stuff out of your body, the, the trapped feelings in there. I would go with SE first. You mentioned Dr. Sarno has a lot on that. Sure. Whether it's back pain or other pain, a lot of emotions and how sure. to express. Yeah. A lot of information. Yeah, there's great, great technology today for how to do it. And there's many excellent SE trained therapists in the front world that you could go to who could help you with this. Many. Okay. Robert also Rabbi Salm, let's let's take a little different angle over here. Okay. Different type of question. Is there any hope if someone's spouse thinks they are fine? Other words, it has become obvious that my spouse can't properly show love and can't do things that keep relationships going. But even though my spouse has been to therapists, they don't believe they have an issue. So nothing ever gets resolved. Instead, many, many tactics are being used as distraction and this stops any real work from getting done. Blaming me is a big one. I've been in therapy consistently for years and trying to be the best myself, but I feel hopelessness of ever having a real, loving, connected relationship with my life partner. Does, does Rabbi Russell, Rabbi Salman have any ideas or answers? It's the spouse point of view. Well, my, uh, 
my my immediate reaction, and this is probably wrong, but since Rabbi Russell told us to practice wrong first, so I'll put it I'll put it into practice right away. Um, sometimes, maybe not in your case, but sometimes when a person cannot uh, see themselves and they're uh, angry and always blaming, um, they may be suffering from a, what we call a personality disorder. Uh, and a personality disorder are, I think Rip Shimon will tell us as well, is probably the hardest thing to treat. Certainly the hardest thing to cure and the hardest people to live with. Uh, there are many, many books about personality disorders and, and different types and uh, why it's so hard to live with them. One of the most famous books is Walking on Eggshells, which is an excellent, an excellent book uh, written about borderline personality disorder and how to help people live with people with these types of disorders. Robert Salman, I think, I think the question is more like, the person themselves coming as a victim of travel neglect, but because of that, they can be a good spouse with them. Go to fresh thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> fresh thoughts. No, Abam is. I just want. Isn't, I'm not looking to plug fresh thoughts, but I can tell you, for people who've been again and again and again through therapy, trying again and again, sometimes you need to step aside. One of the I've said plenty. Sometimes of, you need a fresh start. Yeah, I've sent many of my clients to these to fresh studs, you know, even though I've been working with them. But I know the group experience with five other people spending a week together and realizing it's not just me, I'm not alone. You know, doing it together with other people gives them that jump start to, to get them started. I, uh, you know, someone's had that kind of experience. You can never stop working on yourself. This, I've never met yet anyone who is willing to say, I arrived, I got there, you know, I'm, 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 I'm perfect, I'm fixed. So we all have room to work on ourselves. And uh, sometimes we have to step outside if therapy hasn't been working for you. And you've tried many, many, many times. Sometimes a program like Fresh Start, seven days, just take that time and, and really reward yourself with the opportunity to in the company of others, really take a deep look at yourself and start again. There, there's never a time to stop. I've never seen it yet. It's interesting that you bring that up because uh, I, I've always been impressed with the power of group therapy. Yeah. Um, and even if it's not in a residential setting, or even if it's not in a, in a uh, uh, place like Fresh Start, some people are not ready or not willing to go, that type of thing. But if you can find groups, and there are group therapy uh, places that you can go to, they sometimes are much more powerful and can accomplish what individual therapy cannot. Yes. Uh, it's, it's hard to find, but it's well worth the search, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's do one more live question, and then I think Menachem has one or two questions left, and then we're going to go to closing, okay? Okay, last live question, you're on. Hi, um, do you hear me? Yes. Okay. So actually, you might have answered my question in the, with the previous one, but um, what I wanted to ask was that the description of emotional neglect and, uh, you know, in the, in the opening statements, just, just 
completely describe my own experience, um, but it's not new to me and I'm aware of it. Um, I'm, I'm in therapy for a lot of years, tried more than one to get different perspectives and different kinds of helps, a lot of self-help, um, even some support groups and stuff. Um, I have made a lot of progress, but I still consistently find myself with that deep, deep, deep emptiness, um, frozen inside, and I still cannot break through and just feel myself in a free and open way. And I'm just wondering if there are any other avenues to explore that um, could be helpful. So uh, if I can just mention, I don't know what types of therapy you've been in. First of all, I respect your courage in keeping going and keep on trying. I believe we should, we should always keep looking for the right avenue and not be satisfied and not accept where we are when we know we're in so much pain. Doing inner child work, really the, the recovery from um, childhood neglect is doing inner child work. Inner child work today, Baruch Hashem, it's become the front and center of so much of what therapy is offering today, Baruch Hashem, finally, it's really emerged in the way it should have long ago because there is so much trauma in our community. Um, during part, you look, you really, what you, I would recommend you look for is a therapist or therapeutic environment that does what we call parts work, that works with those inner parts of you that uh, locked up and didn't develop properly. IFS is a fantastic approach. If you haven't done IFS, try IFS, try EMDR, try somatic experiencing. All three of them are excellent avenues for doing some very, very profound shifts with your inner child work, working with the parts of yourself that are stuck. So if you haven't done any of the, any of those three, I would recommend you find an IFS, EMDR, or SE therapist and uh, do some work there. And I wish you just Hatzlacha and continued strength. I'm just going to add that um, to, besides the therapy that you go to, but there's also things that you can do on your own and uh, things like being, uh, to try to unlearn, so to speak, uh, the, the patterns that developed so early in your life uh, by really tuning into your feelings to respect your feelings. Uh, I find that it's helpful to do things that you don't want to do and to not do things that you do want to do. Those, those two factors help people break patterns. You get stuck. You believe in the things that you were, uh, that you grew up with. You believe that your feelings don't count. You believe that uh, there, there, there's not much to you. There is this emptiness, as, as Reb Shimon mentioned earlier, the empty spaces, the white spaces. You start to believe that that is your essence. You need to counteract that. And the way you shake them up, the, one of the best tools is those types of 
doing what you don't want to do and not doing what you do want to do. You, you, you work them out, you, you dig them out by, by changing your, your behavior patterns. And another thing that you, can, that you can do that I think can be valuable is sharing your story. Sharing your story, not of course, wherever you go, but more than you're doing now. Talk about some of the things that happened to you that you're aware of. You say that you, you understood what happened, you know, but take that internal understanding and bring it out. Bring it out, share it. It becomes real. It becomes, it becomes something tangible that you can almost feel and you can say, I'm, this is what I'm changing. When you keep it inside, it's still theoretical. Uh, it's not easy to share, but to the extent that you can do it, I think that it'll help you. Just for clar clarification, I think Barksham, we covered a lot, but what you mentioned now, if, if I need to validate my feelings, understand that my feelings are okay. So how does it work together with what you just said? that do it anyways. That means I don't want to make that phone call. I have that feeling inside of me, it's not going to work. Don't do it. So should I fight it? Or say, if that's how I feel, then that's how I feel, and I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. it works both ways. I think it's a good point. Uh, there are, uh, it doesn't mean that you always do what you don't want to do. And that it means that you practice it in certain ways that are safe and ways that, that are not going to upset your whole equilibrium. So it just you occasionally you're able to do it the way you want to do it, the way you're saying, I'm choosing to do this, even though that's not what I want to do. But in other times, of course, you can say, I don't feel like doing it. My, my feelings are valid. I'm going to listen to them. I respect my decision. And you do that as well. But occasionally to step out of that, to be able to say, I'm not a, uh, I'm not, I'm not an autotron. I don't automatically do what I want. If we, if we can put it in just in a few words to understand what a person is going through, what are their thoughts? What are their beliefs? Somebody going through childhood emotional neglect, the first 15 years of his life, not getting that validation to for his emotions what are those those beliefs that he has about himself in a few lines a few ideas what are those beliefs that are going through in his head there's so many uh but you know in short that a person who's suffering with this is afraid of relying on other people they don't they don't feel safe with other people they have a hard time identifying their own strengths and weaknesses, their likes and dislikes, their life goals. They're very hard on themselves, even harder they, than they'd be on someone else. They lack the self-compassion and understanding. They blame themselves, almost exclusively blame themselves and feel shame, terrible shame. They feel numb and empty, cut off from their emotions. They, they, it's hard for them to express and feel safe expressing how they feel. They feel very easily overwhelmed, give up quickly, feeling like I'm doomed, I'm, I'm a failure, low self-esteem, very extra sensitive to rejection, very tuned into that and feel 
hurt terribly and rejected so easily. And essentially they feel as if I'm deeply flawed. There's something missing or wrong with me. And I can't specifically put my finger on what it is, but it's how I feel. It's an awful burden and baggage to carry through life. Is there a possibility that people become perfectionism, perfectionists? And then yes, from the, the outside, it looks like they're doing great. Mm -hmm. Very much so. I, I find that that's very common. Yeah, because everything, uh, everything is my fault. Uh, I blame myself for everything. So once you're doing that, then that will naturally lead you, could lead you on the path to perfectionism. I, I have no room for error because everything, every step I take, I'm causing something else that's wrong. So I'm gonna be extra careful, extra cautious all the time and want to be perfect, absolutely. Just for clarification, somebody, a few people are texting, is childhood neglect mostly from parents or you could have a loving home and still have a child emotional neglect from schools and from friends and from other things, or it's mostly the core from the parents, people want to know. So there's no question the core, you could have a loving home in terms of, you know, my parents took care of my needs. The question is, did they take care of my emotional needs? Exactly. So that's the bosses of it. And, and it tends to be primarily in your early experiences at home, which then unfortunately, if you already have it, tend to get reinforced through the school experience. A lot of people describe them having loving homes, but that's not the way I would describe it. If you ask them, what do you mean by that? Well, they would say, you know, I always had uh, a new school bag every year and I always had uh, food on the table and I, uh, I, we went on vacations. Uh, obviously my parents loved me, but that has nothing to do with emotions, nothing whatsoever. You could have a, a home with all the trappings and still have emotional neglect. That's right, that's right. Okay, Reverend Russell and Reverend Sam, I'm gonna do one more live question. I'm gonna to go to closing, okay? okay? Last live question, you're on. Hello? Hi, this is Corinne. Hi. Um, thank you for taking my question. Your talk has been very validating to me as a as a individual and as a mother. Um, so I am a divorced family. Um, my youngest was five when we got divorced. Uh, prior to that, the home was abusive um, in all areas, physical abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse. So the home now is safe. Um, my youngest has struggled since she's five because of the divorce. Um, her dad was supposed to have visitation three times a week, twice during the week and every Sunday, and that has never happened. He may see her once every six months, even though he lives maybe seven blocks away. Mm. He, And then when he does see her, he or when he sees the children, he's extremely critical of everything they do. So if they don't get an A, they get a B, it's not good enough. If they get 99, why didn't you get 100? If you, on the varsity team, oh, you're, you're never going to the Olympics, so why are you, why are you wasting time doing sports? Um, so since she's five, I've been her primary, I've been the everything. 
Um, and I would say since her later adolescence from about 15, the anger is like a volcano. It's been, it's been crucial that I've done in hospital. Um, we had to do an inpatient admission twice. We've done medication. She's now off medication. I took off time from work and dedicated strictly to her. Um, I just want to know how now that we are, she's not physically aggressive, but she's less communicative. Like she's, she's kind of put that shell back on now the, the it's like the volcano is back underneath it's not the lava is not pouring out but it's it's there it's bubbling how do how do you deal with 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 that situation how do i keep supporting her but give her those space and yet there's days i just want to put her in my bed and like rock her the whole night and tell her it's going to be okay how old is your daughter She's now 17. Now, I've always said that it's no Kiddush, but the um, self-esteem is basically made up of two parts. And that is love and accomplishment. And it sounds like you're a very loving mother. You've gone through hell and you've given her so much already and not seen the, the fruits yet. So that's terribly frustrating, but you sound like a very loving person. And my guess is, and it sounds like even though her father is not that way, but she's getting a lot of love from you. And that almost can make up for it, maybe not quite, but as much as you can. Perhaps you should try to focus on the other side of her accomplishment. I don't know much about her, anything about her, I don't know what she's doing school-wise, if the hospitalizations have interrupted. No, she's still a, she's still a honor roll, um, National Honor Society student. Okay. Um, she's lucky she's smart because she, she doesn't go to school every day. If, if I don't fight with her on the days that she has mm -hmm. school refusal, we just, I just mm -hmm. add work with her to get her work completed in the, in a time that she gets it done because fighting with her is is fruitless it doesn't it doesn't make her more accountable it just ruins the whole day for for everybody at home she gets her work done and she gets really good grades she's an accomplished artist she's designed record covers she's an excellent she's getting recruited for university volleyball mm -hmm. and i do try Instead of telling her, I'm not, she's not so good at listening as a teenager. I do write her like index cards on like on each page. I say, I love you because, or you're amazing because, and I give her like, oh, you've got blue eyes. You're six foot tall. She's six foot tall Jewish girl. She doesn't feel so amazing because <laughs> she towers above the boys in the neighborhood. Never mind the women. Like she's, you know. Um, and we've we've really come a long way, but she will choose negative behaviors in attempt to get her father's attention. But it doesn't matter how negative we go; he still doesn't pay attention. Right. Can I, do you mind if I make a comment? Quickly? Yeah, I just wanted to say one thing before I did one little thing, and that is uh, stick with it. Uh, the game is far from over. She's seventeen oh. years old; she'll never forget yeah. it. 
and yeah. watch what happens to her uh, when when she when she gets a little older. Yeah, you basically you basically said what I was about. <laughs> yeah, sorry. The only it, no, it's marvelous what this lady is doing for her daughter yeah. is amazing. Is amazing. She's building the building blocks, the foundation for her future life. Right. She's doing something that's amazing. The only thing I think I would change is her expectation in terms of when all this is going to flourish. Yeah. It's all going to happen. I would change the expectation. My experience has been that almost everyone who have struggling children growing up, for whatever reason they're struggling, almost everyone, when they start working on it, have the wrong decade in mind for when they think their child is going to get their life put together. They just got the wrong decade. That's all. That's all. Just... That's it. And if you just continue what you're doing, but get the right decade, actually, I think the right decade for children who've been through childhood trauma of any sort, the right decade is between 30 and 40. Is somewhere there where they're married, bringing up their own families, recognizing how difficult it is with all the support and work and help we give them on the way. That's the right decade when we really see them flourishing and that all those building blocks we put into them year after year, we suddenly realize we built a foundation on which they're building a life. Yeah, it's a decade. Okay, it was beautiful. What a powerful share. For all the people that have questions that we couldn't get to, I apologize. Um, we're going to go to closing now. Russell, it's okay. You'll go first because I know yeah, we're fine. Sure. Okay, so again, the gracious to Russell from Israel for coming on. Yaakov Salman, tremendous, tremendous share tonight. It's 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 powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. We all we all learn together. <laughs> we, sure do. we sure do. So I'd like to just sum up with just two thoughts. One is, what is it that parents should pay attention to to avoid it happening to their children? To attempt to avoid it. You know, obviously we're not none of us are in absolute control but what are the what are the steps and i'd like to boil it down to just three simple steps for us as parents or for young parents bringing up young children and probably for children of all ages first tune in to how your child feels not to how you wish they would feel when you hear them express feelings that worry you don't try and squash the feelings tune into it and let them know you heard them. Number two, validate their feelings. Even if you wish they didn't feel that way, or you're disappointed with the way they feel, validate their feelings, show them they have a right to feel that way. Understand it, tune in and validate it. And lastly, talk softly. Try to understand why they feel that way and leave guidance for later. Don't jump right in. Don't misarrive. Don't mix up listening, tuning, understanding, hearing, reflecting their feelings. Don't mix that up with giving them the guidance and instruction about how they have to be separate the two. First, tune in. Later on, you can give them guidance. You can go back. You can reflect upon their feelings and help them with it. But the first thing is to tune in. Notice be aware, acutely aware, tune into their feelings. And, and that way we can help them grow up with a sense of themselves. Secondly, 
how, what can you do yourself without therapy? What's the self-repair? How can you do it? And you can. There's a lot of things you can do. First of all, start journaling. Recognize and name your feelings. Accept and respect them. The thing that's taken from most adult children of childhood uh, emotional neglect was that you don't trust your feelings. You don't even know them. Journal. Write them down. When you have feelings, acknowledge them, accept them, and respect them. Step two, in a very respectful way, practice sharing with others how you feel. Be very careful. Do it thoughtfully. But start sharing with people how you feel. Let them know that you have distinct feelings. Do it slowly but surely, but learn to express your feelings. They're important. And then acknowledge how other people around you may be feeling and ask them for feedback. Ask them, am I right? It looks to me you might be feeling this way. In other words, walk into the world of feelings, sharing your feelings, tuning into other people's feelings, and then asking them for acknowledgement, for feedback, if that was right. And then do the same thing with your needs. Journal about your needs. Accept and respect what your needs are. Respectfully share your needs with others. And then acknowledge to others what their needs may be and see if you're right, check in. So take the area of feelings and needs, journal about them, talk about them, feel them, respect them, and then do that with other people too. You can do all this work yourself and slowly but surely learn to be in tune with what your own needs and feelings are and have them respected bit by bit. Don't do all this in one go, obviously but slowly but surely, in a respectful way, include more people into the world of how you feel and what your needs are. And if you do it over a period of decades, you'll discover that you can overcome those feelings of disconnect and you start feeling more connected with other people. This treatment or the healing from childhood emotional neglect, as I said at the beginning, is not an event it's a process and it really really does happen can happen over a period of time so either with a therapist or with yourself work on it and keep working on it and with hashem's help you'll learn to be in tune with yourself and know who you are thank you thank you so much i can't tell you i feel the power of what this program offers and I thank you honestly and humbly for inviting me again and for the opportunity to be with you. Thank you very much. Very well. so we're going to continue with Rabbi Solomon. Sure, Russell, we'll be in touch. Please have, a, yeah. have a good morning. We're going to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let me just, before Rabbi Solomon goes again, for anybody who's here the first time, um, every Sunday night at 9.30, we have unbelievable shiurim. If you want to be part of the WhatsApp chat, just WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Or you can go to menachemburnfield.com, sign up for his email list, be part of it. I mentioned next Sunday we have the world famous Gary Newman going to be here. He was on once before. He's Oprah's therapist. He's a big, big celebrity. And he's, he's very, very good, especially in marriages. And the topic is going to be the key differences between successful and failed couples. A real deep, deep discussion in Shalom Bias. Uh, so please join. Let people know. It should be an amazing event. Everything is recorded. Mentioned will be on menachembarnfield.com's website. If you have any questions for Ever Russell, Rabbi Solomon, or for us, just email us at coachmenachem at gmail.com. Um, if you want to listen to the share, it's share 119. 
You can listen to the phone number on 848-777-GROW. You can go to YouTube. You can go to menachemberful.com. You can go to any of the podcasts and um, listen to them. It's unbelievable. And again, thank you to all the advertising sponsors, the Lakewood School, for having you in Chazak. And uh, again, for our um, for the tonight's share sponsored by Fresh Start. Fresh Start, we spoke about it many times tonight. It's an intensive seven-day retreat designed for men and women to understand the process and to heal from unresolved trauma, neglect, and abuse. Describe our participants as life-transforming, an oasis of healing. The Fresh Start Retreat is the first of its kind in the Orthodox Firm community, developed under the guidance and leadership of the team of world-renowned trauma experts, including Robert Russell, licensed clinical therapist, Dr. Rabonim. So go to the website, it's www.thefsrc.com to learn more about it. And now um, we're going to go to Rabbi Salman. I'm going to go to first Coach Menachem. Coach Menachem, give us a little sikum of tonight. And then Rabbi Salman, you're going to, you're going to give the, the kick. We need, I'll tell you what we need from you. We need chizik. We need people that went through trauma. We need guidance. We need, we need how to not to, to do it to the next generation. Recapsulate the whole three hours we just had. <laughs> You're closing. Coach not, not, not a problem. Not a problem. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. A lot of information tonight. I do want to thank Rabbi Russell and Rabbi Solomon for giving us the time. And just listening to the discussion is just amazing. I'm sure everyone was able to pick up a little bit of the information that they need or a lot. But I know there are some people out there who feel it, sometimes it can be hard and sometimes even confused. So what exactly should I do? And the first step that I want to mention is that itself is a feeling. You can be in a space where you're like, I don't know, I don't know. And just realize when you're there that you're okay. And start telling yourself that it's okay to feel these feelings. That's where we're starting. Before you go to your kids, and which we heard there's a lot of inner child work. There's a little little child inside of every one of us who's crying. And if we weren't attuned to that inner child for many years, it's sometimes hard to start, but we have to start listening and understanding the feelings like we heard Russell mentioned by journaling, becoming aware of those feelings and don't look for a solution right away. Because running to a solution is, again, running away from those feelings that we don't like. So whether it's your child or your, your own inner child that's crying about something, to, to tell them, you know, put on the Band-Aid right away, defeats the purpose. Yes, they need a Band-Aid. But first realize they got a cut. It hurts. So there has to be that space between that feeling validating the feeling, feeling, and then going to the solution. And before I end, I do want to mention last time we had Rabbi Solomon on, he spoke about Amun and Betachen, and at the end he mentioned he can't believe nobody brought up um, tefillah, saying that tefillah to Hashem, I'm sure he's going to say it tonight also, wherever we are, whatever we feel, whatever we're going through, with what we picked up, some information, some action, even small, but before, who's the one who put us here? You say a tefillah, a small tefillah, Hashem, please help me, guide me, open my eyes, help me. Help me realize what I need, how to do it, and give me the koyach to be able to do it. And Hashem, 
we should be able to take the information. Information again is logic. The logic, we need to go down to that emotions, tap into our feelings, into our emotions, start understanding. And for that, we need to slow down, take a deep breath and realize what you're feeling, validate. And after that, we can see, you know, what, what healing, what action I want to do. So thank you very much. And there's a lot, there's a lot of information. I think we have to listen to it again and again. And it's a shame everybody should get the healing that they need. Just before Rabbi Salman goes, if any people are texting me, Rabbi Russell's book is, is coming now. So if anybody wants to pre-order it, go to the website, www.raisingalovingfamily.com. You could order it, pre-order it there. Rabbi Yaakov Salman, the one and the only. Please give us the closing, the chizik that we need before we go off such a powerful share. I want to tell you the difference between a good quarterback and a great quarterback. You see, a great quarterback, even if you don't know anything about football, he has something called an audible. An audible means that he comes up to the line, the play's about to start, and he takes the play that he was about to do and he throws it in the garbage and he says, I'm going to put a different play on. It's an audible. When he sees the lineup, he says, no, this is the play that's going to work. So I had a whole other idea about how I wanted to end tonight, and I'm throwing it right in the garbage. And instead, I want to share with you something from my Rebbe, one of my Rebbe, a thought that you will never forget. As Pesach Krom, my buddy, always says, this is something you will never, ever, and this really is something that you'll never forget. Listen to this. Rav Palm, I remember sitting there in the Shia room, I don't know how many years ago when he said this, I was shaking from it. I walked out of the Shia with Rabbi Reisman at the time. I'll tell you what happened. Rav Palm said on this week's parsha on, on Bracious yesterday, what happened at the end of creation, at the end of all six days of creation, the Pasuk says, shocking, ready? I mean, if you're not shocked by this Pasuk, you haven't, you haven't learned any Chumash yet. What Hashem is looking over at his creation, he says, wow, you know, I, I did a nice job. I, I, it really? Kodesh Baruch Hu is, is proud? He says, it's very good. I did a very good job with this world. Very nice. Is that that's what he's doing? Doesn't really make sense, does it? And then Rav Palm sweetens the question because he says, you know, if you asked me, I remember he said it so gently, the way he was, so beautiful. He says, you know, if you asked me about how he did in the world, I'm not sure if I would call it Taiv Ma'id. I'll tell you why. On the first day, he made light or but we know from the Medrash that the or was too great. And he said, uh-oh, I made the or too great. I have to put it away. He put it into Geniza, waited for La'asid Lovey, for the Tzadikim. No good. Second day, he made the Mayim El Yoinim and the Mayim Tachtanim. Then they started to fight with each other. Gewalt, what did I do? Shem says, the second day didn't work out so well. The third day, he made trees. And in the trees, he told them, Eitz Pri, Isa Pri, the bark has to taste like the fruit. And guess what? The Medrash says the tree did not cooperate. And the bark, as we know, does not taste like the fruit. Oy, gewalt. What did I do on the third day? The fourth day, I don't have to tell you, he made the Shemesh and the Ereach. 
well, they was they were the same size and they fought. Lavana had a problem, so he had to make them smaller. Uh oh, I, I blew it again. The fifth day, he makes the fish and he makes the huge fish, the Livyasan. And the Livyasan was too big. He couldn't, it was going to destroy the world. He had to take that back also. And now he has to put the Livyasan away. But the sixth day, you know that problem. Adam Chava, the Nachash, Eitzadas. You know what Rav Palm says? Taiv Ma'id. I don't think he even got one day right. Every day was a problem. What, what is he doing? Why is he calling it Taiv Ma'id? Number one. And number two, why did it work, not work out? Couldn't Hashem just made the word perfect the way he wanted it to? Every day was a mess. Says Rabbam, something you'll never forget. He said, of course Hashem could have made it perfect. He didn't make it perfect. Why? He did it for you. He wanted to show you that nothing is perfect. Nothing, not even the creation of the world. He did it for us to teach us that plan A doesn't work. Plan B could work. And Akash Baruch Hu says, you know what? I made the world. Plan A didn't work. I had to go to plan B. And you know what? I've mind. Pretty good. What a lesson. What a life lesson for us. Plan A, more often than not, we have to go to plan B. But you know what? That's pretty good too. And as I walked out of the shear with Rabbi Reisman at that time, he turned to me and he said, you know, if plan B is the one that works, then we should start with plan B. Why are we bothering with plan A? It's an interesting point. So I listened tonight to all this fabulous discussion, and I, I must tell you, I can't get over Shimon Russell every time I, I see him and, and speak with him. so wise. But we make mistakes all the time. You're listening to this and you're saying, my parents made mistakes. I'm making mistakes. I don't have it together. I'm not doing it right. I'm trying so hard. And I hear those questions coming in so heartfelt. I'm trying so hard. I just don't get it right. And Kirsch Baruch Hu says, don't lose faith. Don't lose hope. I didn't get it right either. Wow. Kirsch Baruch Hu says himself, I also didn't get it right. That's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's Taiv Ma'id. It's a process. As, as he said, it's a process. We have to continue to try and work and work and work. And we see it this week and coming up in Parshas Nayach. Never give up. Never give up. 500 years he didn't have children. 500 years and didn't give up. Didn't give up. Still has children. Still, the world still went on. Still went on. Your world will continue to go on. You had problems. You still have problems. We all have problems. We try to solve them. Sometimes they work. And sometimes we go to plan B. And guess what? Sometimes we got to go to plan C or D or more. It's a process. We keep going, but don't get discouraged. It's worth it. More often than not, it's going to happen. But you have to wait. Sometimes, as Rabbi Shimon said, a different decade even. That's the way the world works. 
don't lose hope. It's like what Menachem said, tefillah is the ikker. If they keep davening and davening, without Hashem's help, we're going nowhere. Tenu eyes lay like him. Create the keli, and Hashem's going to drop it into you. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes decades. But never, ever give up. That's really the aside. Emotional neglect, huge problem. A silent killer, so to speak. That's really what it is, because our emotions is the engine. That's what makes the car go. And sometimes they're very damaged. We have to reach back, try again, maybe a different therapist, maybe a different modality, maybe a different, a different, completely different approach. Maybe we have to work on more on our own, wherever it may be. My message and main message, and it's not a chiddush, is we can't give up. And if we keep at it, more often than not, we'll get there. I thank you so much for inviting me again. Uh, this is time number three, so I guess I get some time off uh, from now for a, for a little bit while. But anytime you put me together with Jim and Russell, uh, I'll, I'll be here next week if you want. Uh, that's how great he is. So uh, thanks to everybody for listening. And uh, I'm, I'm amazed by the courage of all of you. And I'm amazed at the, uh, the organizers of this platform that have created a vehicle that gives so much hope and encouragement to people like never before. Uh, there are a lot of things out there, but there ain't nothing like this one. And I am glad to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Rob Salman. Thank you, Rob Russell. Everybody have a great night. We'll see you next week with Gary Newman. And um, I don't know if I can go to sleep after such a show. I'm going to try. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes and it will be greatly appreciated thank you in advance